Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Mr. Hand's teacher's assistant, Dagan Moriarty. You dick. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? My brother's going to kill us. (laughs) Is he going (laughs) to? My brother's going to shit. Your brother's going to shit. Was he going to kill us? Or is he going to (laughs) shit? Oh, my friend. Here we are. Well, we're already giving up what our Knockback episode is all about today. Although... The title of the episode has probably also given it away. That's true. Dagan, for the uninitiated, Knockback is our retro and nostalgia-themed podcast we do every week. It's supported over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand, where you can get every episode of this show. Jesus, what am I saying? Show. What the fuck's wrong with me today? <laughs> I like it. Just go. One go week with early it. Roll, without roll, ads. baby. There's also the perk of submitting your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. You'll see them smattered throughout all of our episodes, including this one today. And this one will indeed be all about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the classic early 80s teen movie that I think we all love, but maybe some people don't. It'd be interesting to hear somebody who doesn't we love it. We have no feedback from the audience that indicates anyone doesn't like the movie. And that's the best in, as we're going to do in terms of anecdotal evidence. Well done. Yeah. So I'm excited about this episode. I have a great deal of love for this movie. So it's a good choice. Dagan. Me too. Me too. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad you approve. Yeah, we both do do have a great love for this movie. So it's a perfect topic. It's great. Start out wave eight. It's a great topic. Now, Dagan, before we get into it, before we get into the show itself, and everyone knows we kind of do our little opening segments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And this is wave eight. This is the first time we're recording an episode for wave eight. You're here in Santa Monica, in lovely Santa Monica, and uh, it's good to have you. It's great to be here, here in Los Angeles. I'm so excited to be back. I haven't been here since we said October, right? I think was, so, because I came to you twice in a row. Yeah, I was here for your birthday. Right. So exa- it was mid-October. That's, exa- that's exactly right. And then, yeah, so we've each come to each other now four times, and this is the beginning of Wave 8. These are your topics, so that's pretty exciting. My it's topics. pretty Pretty exciting stuff. And I was really happy to see this on your list, because this was definitely on my short list to bring up soon. Oh, cool. That's good. Yeah. You wanted to cover this sooner than later. Yeah, I think so. Probably before essential. we got to episode 100 or so. I, I, I agree. I mean, this is such a great movie and, and such a, a movie that can elicit a lot of conversation, not only about the movie itself, but about the time. And I think what the movie means and the unique place that I think it takes in the, in the pantheon of teen film. Let's call, let's call it that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But Dagan, I mentioned our opening segments and usually you man the turret for this, right? And I was in the shower not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. I think of almost all of my ideas in the shower. Almost anything that ever comes to my mind comes to my mind in the shower. Otherwise, I'm a blank slate. It's so funny how many people say that. 
I love showers. I sit in the shower for a half an hour sometimes and just stare at the wall. What do you think it is about taking... I hear, I hear two things from people. Mm. And I, I get ideas. It's more random for me. It's, it's, it, comes, it comes when it comes. There's really no calculating when it comes for me. But I hear the shower thing a lot. And I, the other thing I hear about a lot is shaving when, they're, when people are shaving. So, which I've is shaved cool. in... Yeah, definitely. Four You're not years. Gonna, if, if we were waiting for you to get an idea while shaving, yeah, it's almost as bad as me. Well, sometimes I shave other parts of my body, but yeah. you know, not uh, not the face. Right. Well, but what do you think of this rugged look that I have I going like on it. right now? For for real, I like the beard. It, well, right now my hair is really short. You but do, my, but I have my my beard's probably my beard's many times longer. You're than talking my, about what do I think of the whole yeah, aesthetic with the, the short aesthetic? hair? Usually I do it the same length as you know. I was yeah. always even when I would shave my own head and my own beard and stuff, I would just do it all this. I know. knew something was a little different. Mm. That's what it is. Your mm. hair is very shorn, and your beard is relatively bushy. It's it's kempt. There's nothing like a it's shorn scrotum. <laughs> It's breathtaking. Breathtaking, actually. <laughs> you know what's funny about your beard, too? I get really upset about this, actually, but Helene gives me such a hard time for having a beard. She hates me with facial hair. Especially when I do the Freddie Mercury mustache as a joke and walk around. I made my daughter, I made Lily a cry with that. I, I came downstairs with the Freddie Mercury mustache. This was a few weeks, maybe a, maybe a month ago, right before her friends came over for a sleepover <laughs> and for pizza. And I was like, Lil, what do you think? And I thought she was going to laugh and like roll her eyes and be like, that. she started crying. She got so upset. I felt so bad. Like I just hit her at the wrong, like she was just having, a, you know, she's 12, so she gets emotional. I felt, so, I felt so terrible. But what I was saying was Helene really likes you. She said this in front of me and you. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I think Colin looks really good with a beard, actually. <laughs> Like what the, what the hell? Well, you know, she's got good taste. Well, well, she does. She does. She has decent taste. You know, I've always wondered this. <laughs> I've always wondered this. What is it like to be with someone and then their sibling kind of resembles them? You I know think about I mean? that too. Yeah, Isn't absolutely. That an interesting thing. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Like, is that? You know, I, I think about it from Helene's perspective, but I've also known Helene for a long time. So I've thought about that before, like for over the last 23 years, I've known her or whatever. Yeah. Everyone's always brought up, oh, Colin and Dagan always look alike. They look the same. So that's like kind of in her mind, probably. But I wonder in the reverse when someone sees you. Yeah. Like I, I'm dating a girl and they see you. Is that unsettling to them? Oh, I see what you're you know saying. What I mean? In other words, Helene's been around yeah. for so long that I think she's just acclimated to it. Well, right? Helene's probably well, feeling some regret. That right, she well, chose the wrong one. Right, she could have. That's well, what well, you guys met when I was twelve. It would have been a little awkward, but <laughs> we might have been able to make something work. Yeah, we're not, I'm not gonna make the joke. I was just gonna make. <laughs> nope, I'll be happy to make it, <laughs> as you probably know. But no, I like my beard, and I, I appreciate that your wife likes my beard as well. How does Erin like the look with the short hair and longer beard? She likes it. She likes. You know, she. It's funny because. She knew me as a clean-shaven person when I was in college, but she has only known me as an adult with my beard. You know, I only started growing my beard right like when I was like 29, almost 30. You got it working for you. I the earrings looks- is a big component of this look as well. I agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Definitely. See, I posted pictures today. People were doing this hashtag about their original games jobs or whatever on Twitter. So I posted pictures of myself when I was an intern at IGN, you know, 15 years ago. And I have the same earrings in. And people were saying, like, wow, it's incredible. You know, you still have them. I'm like, well, I told you. I just don't know that I can. They can come out now. They're just, they're just there. That's it. They're just there. But Dagan, I brought up the segments because you always. Wh- how do we even get on that? Oh, I was thinking in the shower, and then we talked about showers, right. and then we talked about facial hair, and I don't know what happened. But <laughs> I came up with this idea in the shower 
for me to do a segment because I feel like I have a lot of fun doing being the participant. And so I feel like you would also have fun being the participant. Absolutely. I'm so excited about this. And since you subjected me last time to doing something that you're really good at, which is drawing, right? <laughs> yes. And we drew art. Yes. What we did we did. call that segment? Win, lose and draw. Right. Win, lose and draw. This segment is a little bit more in my wheelhouse. But I don't think you're going to be at any real disadvantage, oh, actually. Jesus Christ, is there a drum set in here or something? No, no, it's, no drum. <laughs> <laughs> it's called. I'm calling it It's About Time. Oh, and nice. The title. segment for the audience, I already explained it to you kind of cursorily, but I'll explain it to the audience a little bit because th I think this is one that they can play along with at home. Okay. Right? And I want you guys to get prepared. I want you to get a piece of paper. I want you to get a pen. You know, I want you to get your friends and family. I want you to gather everyone around. And there's no ice skating involved in there's this. There's no ice skating okay. involved. <laughs> my hockey stick's over here. My, my equipment's over there, but... <laughs> Not nothing to do with that. The guitar okay. is right there. We're not going to make you pick that up. Oh, God, God, thank God. The PlayStation moves are over there. We're not going to make you play with those <laughs> or probe yourself with them or anything disgusting like that. But what we are uh -huh. going to do is I'm going to present you with 10 things. Okay. They can be books, TV shows, events. They can be contemporary. They can be somewhat, you know, in our lifetimes, but they can also be old or really old. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell me, give me the year that this thing came out. Oh, I love this. Okay. And I'm going to write down your answers. Yeah. And the audience at home can play. And then we'll kind of judge you based, you know, we'll judge you somehow. I'm going to judge you. Right. And the one thing is, is that on the guests that you're most off of, I'm going to give you a second chance after everything's done. Okay. To rectify the situation. This okay? would be perfect. I can't even remember my kids' birthdays. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not that bad. And this is more in my wheelhouse because I was explaining to you, Dagan. Yeah. That... Aaron has complimented me many times and other people in my past, like just friends and, and then even some family members that I have this really uncanny ability to identify the date of almost anything. Yeah, you And I'm do. not talking about specific like, you know, March 17th, 1780. I'm not saying that necessarily. But someone can say to me, like, when was this television show on television or produced? And I would give you an answer and it would probably be within like two years. You, I'm just I'm good at it. I you're don't know very, why. But well, you're very well, we were talking about this. We, you, you're very well read. And you're very learned, if you will. So, of course, you, you're, you're going to have a natural tendency to know those things. I'm also just obsessed with time, which I've identified for a long time, which is actually kind of fundamental to our show. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. I like, I like dates. Yeah. I like knowing when things happen. Medjool dates? The food? No, no, I don't like. No, dude, no. You don't like those? No, no. Oh, I like. I have to take one. They're in the supermarket, like in the produce section. Mm. I got to grab one. What an ancient food that is, though. That is. It's a good uh, Old Testament pull, even. Absolutely. If I, you're riding a camel, you have a satchel full of those. Oh, my God. For sure. You have that. Yeah, you have some frankincense. You're all good. <laughs> <laughs> More of a merman. Yeah. Mer <laughs> Wait a second. Oh. Whoa. No. Like a little bit. Of, <laughs> we love our incense. <laughs> so, Dagan, here are the, the, you know, I'm going to throw you for a loop with some of these. I I'm think. nervous. Not, I'm nervous. No, not because you won't know them. Okay. But because I think they're going to, some of the questions are going to surprise you, but I'm going to ease you into it. Like you're easing Please. into a warm bath. All right. All right. All right. And all then right. we're going to kind of, you know, and then we're going to get a little crazy with it. Okay. Okay. All right. Digging. What year did J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye come out? Oh, wow. I'm going to say, I'll just say 1952. Two. Okay, I'm going to let you keep that answer, but okay. I'm going to also say I'm talking about a novel form. That answer is perfectly fine, but okay. I just want to be clear, novel form, it was available earlier in okay. a serialized form. Okay, okay. But that's Got a good answer. Okay. I'm going to keep that answer. Okay. Dagan, what year did Final Fantasy V come out? Oh, wow. In Japan. That was Japanese. Let me think. 
I'm going to think about something. I'm going to start with one for a second. In Japan. I'm trying to think. I'm going to say 1990. 1990, okay. What year did the Beatles' White Album come out? Oh, man. (laughs) I should probably know this. I'm going to say 1968. Okay. What year did Jimmy Carter get elected to president? 1971. What year did the Macintosh computer come to market? You know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of like when they ask these like supermodels, like beautiful like models in like a competition, like a Miss America competition, mm-hmm. and they're really dumb and they're just like so far off. Is that what <laughs> is that what's happening right now? No, not at all. Okay, tell me that one again. What was that last one? Macintosh computers came to the market. Came to market. Mm-hmm. Came to market. The successor to the Apple II. Technically the successor to the Lisa. Right. I'll say 1983. Okay. Dagan, what year did Welcome Back Cotter first air? Wow. Uh, 77? Okay. What year? See, now we're going to get to weird ones, but you're okay. going to appreciate these, I think. What year did Kia, the car company, mm. first sell a car in the United States? In the U.S.? Let me think. Kia, the Korean car company. Right. I guess Kia, I, I thought Kia and Hyundai, Hyundai were like the same company for a long time. They're not, right? No. They're major competitors. By the way, if you hear a bunch of mouth and licking noises in the background, that's Lola. That's Lola. That's not, not either of us. Uh, definitely not you. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't abide by that. I'll get, after we're done with the game, I'm, I'm going to put her in the other room because this is going to persist because she's just going to lick the blanket I forever. Feel like, I feel like I want to say a certain thing, but mm-hmm. then it's probably longer. I'll, I'll say, this is a really tough one. I'll say 87. Okay. What year did Galileo mm. observe the moons of Jupiter? We were talking about astronomy. My son and I were talking a lot about like astronomy and ancient astronomy because he's kind of into it. And I didn't realize how long ago some of these things happened. So I'll say, you know, what? I'm just going to say 16. Let's just say 1601. Okay. Lowest without going over. Okay. But I might have, I might have gone over. What year did the Game Boy Pocket come out? Oh, the Game Boy Pocket. 89 the game boy pocket i'm thinking when the game boy came out 87 game boy was it 87 game boy pocket i don't know 89 okay and the final one what year was the normandy invasion of europe the normandy invasion f- during world war ii during world war ii ww2 ww2 <laughs> oh man i don't want to get this wrong it's so disrespectful to get this wrong 44. All right. Let me just examine to make sure. Let me see which one you got the most wrong, and then we'll give you a chance to answer it again. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like that part of the game the most. This is actually kind of, that's a kind of a cool little part. Yeah. All right. So the Galileo one is the most off. That's the most off? All right. I'm going to say 1550. Okay. I will say now you are now way off. Really? Yeah. But we'll go to the the answers here. Okay. Okay, okay. For everyone playing at home. Okay. You did very well, oh, by the way. You right. did very well. Did I? Yes. Okay. Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger, you said 1952. Yeah. The answer is 1951. Oh, okay. So All pretty right. good. Good. Final Fantasy V, you said 1990. Yeah. It's 1992. Oh, all right. The Beatles' White Album, you said 1968. The answer is 1968. 1968, okay. The year Jimmy Carter was elected, you said 1971. Mm. Jimmy Carter was elected 76. Oh. Remember, election years are even. Oh, that's right. Nixon was the president when I was born. Right. Since 73. Oh, that was a gaffe. 
Macintosh computers were introduced, you said 1983. They were 83. introduced in 1984, the same year that I was introduced. Nice. The, yes, you were. Welcome back, Cotter. You said was introduced in 1977. Yeah. One of my favorite sitcoms of the 70s came out in 1975. Mr. So Cartier. See, Mr. Cartier. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. So, so far, very, very well played. Not too bad. Not too bad. You were bad. five years off on the Carter one, but otherwise you've only been one or two years off of everything else. I'm mad at myself about the Final Fantasy one because Final Fantasy 2 slash 4 is one of my favorite games. And I should have known that that Final Fantasy 5, of course, came later. So yeah, that was stupid. That was a stupid answer. All right. Let's see. We're on Kia. You said 1987. The answer, Kia first sold their automobiles in the United States in 1994. Oh, wow. Okay. The Galilean moons. Yeah. Which, of course, are Europa, Io, Ganymede. And yep. what am I missing? Ganymede, uh, Io, Europa. Is Juno one of them? No. Ganymede, Io, Europa. It'll come to me. Okay. Anyway. All right. You said that he saw them in 1601. Yeah. He saw them in 1610. Oh, you then revised your answer to 1550. Yeah, because something I read recently was that in the 1500s. I was like, how is that even possible with astronomy? Like if I think I'm not very learned when it comes to astronomy, mm-hmm. but I was reading something about like when they saw when they first spotted something. And I was like, what? That long ago? That's insane. Like when was the telescope invented? Do you know? I think around that time. OK, OK. I think that was. Yeah. All right. Because I think that was the you know Jupiter is visible through the naked eye, but the four big moons are not. Right. Although. Some people claim that you can see them through the, with the naked eye. And I I think I told the story that I think I've seen them with my own naked eye. But isn't it not. so funny when something becomes on your context and then it comes up again? Like there's it's so odd that I was just talking about this with my son. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about it again. Yeah. It's so weird that that your first. That was why I was so disappointed that the Galilean answer was the one that was most off mathematically because you almost that's a pretty good answer. Nine years. So nine year. Yeah, nine, nine year years. spread was my biggest. Yeah. Miss. And Galileo was very active, you know, in 1601 doing other shit. So that's right, a right. good guess. OK. You All got right. his like life, you know. Yeah. I don't know anything about Galileo. Game Boy Pocket. I'm a little disappointed. In yeah. You what is, you in this what one. is I don't even know. Game Boy came out in 1989. Oh, OK. So you said it was 1989 for Game Boy Pocket. Game Boy Pocket Pocket came out in 1996. Game Boy Pocket was like the revised, smaller version of Game Boy that came out right before Game Boy Color came out. Wow, 96. Yeah, 1996. Wow. When did the... When did... Okay, so that was 96. Game Boy was 89. See, that... that So that already put me off by two years. Yeah, that would make sense. Like, Game Boy was 87. It would be 89 for sure. Yeah. The, ga- the handheld timeline's a little... Then I start thinking when the game boy games released i'm getting into game boy that's like good regular game boy because there's so many games that i missed on it dude there's a ton of great games so on many boy. good games on there over a pretty long period of time too i mean i'm always surprised pokemon came out in the ninth year of game boy's life that's you know, really a pretty wild that's unbelievable situation so oh all right so normandy invasion yeah 1944 you nailed that one okay so good. you got several of them right and you were really only off on you know catastrophically off i would say on None of them, and off by more than a few years on only three of them. Wow, that's not too bad. Jimmy Carter one was a, that was a, and the Final Fantasy one I should have answered better. That's, that was silly. So how did you feel about the game It's About Time? It's fun. You know, I need as many mental challenges as possible, first of all, because I feel like I have that whole sleep deprived animator thing. Right, right. 
And I'm afraid I'm going to be senile by the time I'm 50. You might be. Yeah, you are mentally challenged. Oh, you said you need mental challenges, right? I right, need right, 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 yes, right. yes, yes. <laughs> well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Let's be fair. Well, fair enough. That was a fun one, Kyle. Well, what's, that, what's that segment called again? It's about time. I like it. Nice title as well. Thank you. Appreciate that. Dagan, Fast Times at Ridgemont Here High. Here we go. Now, I'm excited about this one. Well, as we were saying earlier, came out August 13th, 1982 in the theater. It had a small budget of like something like five or ten million dollars and it made a 50 million dollar gross revenue in box offices around the world and it's based on a cameron crow 1979 uh expose it came out in 1981 but basically in 1979 cameron crow famously goes into a san diego area high school and, and enrolls as a student as an he's like 21 or 22 years old at the time he's a rolling stone writer at this time. And so cool. This is where basically he kind of it's an expose on what it's like to be in high school in the late 70s. It's a really important book. And it's a it's wild because the book was never republished. And we can talk about that in a little while, but impossible to get a hold of it. Yeah, I was looking actually online. I was, I was interested. I was like, oh, I'll go read this. It can't be that expensive. It's like people are going to pay 300 bucks for. Are like, you serious? Yeah, like copies of the book. Yeah. I was re- I really wanted to read it. I'm very disappointed that I didn't get to for this. And like Colin said, it's almost impossible to find. And then I was really hoping that there would just be an audiobook of it. Nothing. Because that would be a nice way to rectify the cost for people so that people could really go in and see what it was about. Yeah. I mean, it's really strange to me. It seems like a stubborn sort of move, actually, on Cameron Crowe's part. Because I was reading about it. He's acknowledged that he hasn't republished it and then he owns the rights to the book like he can republish it he just oh he cho- does he just chooses not to republish it. oh see that sucks i it's think it's kind of weird that's very strange you know i find that a little strange but anyway the book came out in 81 it was a big hit and so it was basically optioned as a film and the film is you know loosely based the characters are kind of loosely based and all of this kind of stuff but you know they they basically find cameron crow and i think he writes the screenplay for it which is cool and obviously people know cameron crow from later on uh, the writer and director of Say Anything, which is a classic 80s classic. movie, late, late 80s movie. Uh, he wrote singles. He wrote Jerry Maguire, which is interesting. I didn't yeah. know that until I was reading about him. Yeah. And uh, Almost Famous, which, which is his last kind of tour de force, which is about him. It's kind of autobiographical. Such a good movie. Because Cameron Crowe, for folks that aren't aware, was like a music writer and a pretty prolific, like, you know, entertainment and culture writer. But like when he was like 16. Yeah, he was a prodigy. And so he like lived this crazy life of like going to these concerts and going on tour and doing all this. And the movie Almost Famous is kind of like about yeah, his experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. And he got Amy or I guess the studio, too. I think it's Universal. Got Amy Heckerling to direct it. She later directed like European Vacation. She directed and wrote like Look Who's Talking, the movies. And, and I think most famously Clueless. Yes. Which is a, I love that movie so much. Such a good movie. So she kind of like kind of got her start here. David Lynch was offered the directorial role of this, which is really weird. <gasps> Isn't that like the second so time yeah. or third time we've yeah. had to say that? Yes. Because wasn't it like The Goonies or something? Or what was it that he what was like was offered? It? Where it's like, what? Why would you offer yeah, maybe him this it was good. Yeah, it's very strange. I think he got offered a lot of things, I think, because he's very well liked and, so, you know, has such a specific style, you know, so many people admire him. But it's so funny how often he comes up. Yeah, he comes up constantly. So well, on this show, anyway, I don't know that he comes up constantly in everyone's lives. Maybe we'll do a Twin Peaks thing eventually. We have to because, you know, I've not watched it all and I don't me either. I don't really get it. Like what I what I started watching it and I'm like, I don't it seems very pretentious to me, but 
that's fine. We can get to yeah. that. And yeah. I could very well be wrong. I mean, my I best like, friend Ramon is like obsessed with it. Ramon like literally listens to like multiple podcasts only about oh, Twin Peaks. Wow, That's how, like, really? He, is. he loves it. He is loves he it. a David Lynch fan in general? I don't know about that. Okay. I, p- presumably. Okay. But yeah, he really loves Twin Peaks. And it was like a more recent thing. He wasn't into it when we were younger. That's cool. So Dagan, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Here we go. What do you remember about this film? Because you were nine, I mean, when this came out. Yeah. You weren't that old, so it really wasn't for you, and I doubt you saw it at no. the time. Actually, I was reading that it was really not a huge hit in the theater. It grossed respectively, like respectively, like we said, but actually Universal or whoever put the movie out didn't believe in it and like only put it on like 200 screens initially or something. So it was like a word of mouth thing. And VHS, apparently, it was like one of the movies very early on that was like a beneficiary of the VHS revolution and like becoming a movie that people watched at home. So... I'm curious, like, what your first interactions with this movie were, because I don't remember seeing it until, like, the late 90s or even hearing anything about it. But you must have been familiar with it and had seen it yeah, long I, before then. Yeah, I think so. Now, I was really racking my brain, you know, when I first saw it, because I was, like, 9, 10 years old when it came out. So I definitely didn't see it, you know, upon its initial release or anything like that. And I was really trying to come up with when the first time I saw it was. It must have been sometime around college that I first laid eyes on it and they did play it on television i remember them playing it on television heavily edited obviously but that must have been the first time i saw it because i don't remember seeking it out seeking it out on vhs or renting it from the video store you know so i think just actually just catching it it was one of those things i just caught and it's almost like it has almost like we'll talk about this more later it almost has that john hughes type resonance to it it's just very it was just for me it was very appealing I really enjoyed it. You know, not only the, you know, there there are comedic elements of it, but it's just, it's very appealing and it's very realistic. It resonates in a very realistic way. It's very striking that way. The movie really um, sort of engages you that way. It's, it's like, it's not like a lot of other movies, you know, it doesn't feel, it feels like it has some substance. It feels very connected to what it's like to really be a teenager and really be a high school kid. And I think that's what drew me in. And I think that's what draws a lot of people in. I've seen this movie so many times. I've seen this movie at least 10 times. You know, and again, watching it for... It's one of those movies that works on this level too. Watching it for the episode again, you know, you always get a little something extra out of it. And then actually going in and researching and finding out, you know, certain anecdotes and different ins and outs during the production and learning a little bit about Amy Heckerling, who I didn't know too much about previously was really added sort of another layer for me, you know, and makes it even more interesting. Now, what about you? Because you, you're of an age, this movie's older than you are. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's not a movie that I was introduced to in my younger years. I think, I think I became cognizant of it like sometime in high school. It was one of those early DVDs I bought, you know, at the turn of the century when PS2 was around and stuff. I, I, really fell in love with it at that time. And it was before I was even like a stoner in the stoner culture or anything like that and really related to or could relate to a lot of the humor and a lot of Spicoli's, you know, why Spicoli's funny and stuff. I, I enjoyed the movie even even before that was true. And so I think I was introduced to it, I, I you know, by a friend, maybe a contemporary, but I remember very clearly watching it on my PS2, you know, late in high school. And it was one of those movies that was just in rotation and, you know, up there with Caddyshack and all these other movies that I loved at at that time or were introduced to at that time. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think you hit the nail on the head and specifically about the fact that it's a movie that feels real. It's not like a version of reality or a comedic version of reality or anything like that or a somber or harrowing version. It's just real. And you and I were talking, you know, earlier, like I don't really think the movie has a plot. 
Like, I, I, I don't think it's about anything. Like, really. It leads up to this dance, I guess. And, like, you know, it's about senior year and going into this, you know, and finding yourself. But I don't really know what the through line of the movie is. Yeah, it's sort of just follow. It's sort of the through line is just the characters, the main characters and what the, each one of them is going through. Yeah. You know? I think that's really the common thread. And also, I should say, for me, this movie, I think what got its claws in for me was that it is in many ways a little bit, even though it does feel very realistic. And you know what's interesting about this, Kyle? Before I even talk about this other thing, this movie has two things working against it in, obviously, in a present-day context. For, for us, for you and I specifically, right? It's set on the West Coast, right? It's Southern California, and it's also taking place so many years ago. You know what I mean? But it still has that timelessness to it because it still tackles that same those same themes, those same things about being a student, you know, the teacher that's a little bit of a dick, you know, trying to hold down shitty jobs, dealing with the stoners, dealing with breaking up, dealing with your first sexual encounters, all that kind of stuff. Those are timeless things that are woven through the movie and they're handled in such a way that they remain timeless even though this movie is pretty old. So that's really striking about it. But what I was going to say was, for me, too, I think what got its claws in was how cartoony it could be. You know, you have the kid orders a pizza to to the classroom. The football star, you know, beats up on the opposing team, which is like a really, really funny vignette of him, like, taking out the, you know, the opposing, the, the football star taking out the opposing team. And, you know, the, the, the first date at the German restaurant. You know, they're in those giant oversized mm-hmm. chairs and they look like kids, you know, with all the all the cups of Coke on the table and he forgets his wallet. And, the you know, of course, the iconic VW van opening, you know, to like two years worth of pot smoke wafting out. Right. It's so I, that's like still like one of my favorite. I love shots. the cartooniness of it. And even in that, even through that, it still feels like. Yeah, I, I believe this, you know, still feels totally legit. Yeah, it's funny you put it like that because it really is like it really does draw a dichotomy between something that's really grounded and real. And then, like you said, something that does have a like it's got a comedic quality to it. But like even the pizza delivery scene, like I was reading some stuff where like that was really inspired by something in the book that really happens, you know, <laughs> so- like so. It's it's funny, but it's also like drawn from some sort of reality, I guess. Like I, I never really knew someone like Spicoli, but I'm sure people like him are bouncing around. I mean, people are, you know, when we'll get to Spicoli, obviously we'll yeah. talk about all the characters in depth. But, you know, what I like about it is that it's not about even in its realism, it's not about, you know, you find your first love and they get married after college or what. You know, it's not about that at all. It's about like, wow, you know, and and, and this is my interpretation of it, but it's like, you know, somewhat, you know, it's a girl that kind of fibs or, you know, who's like kind of Phoebe Cates' character kind of is fibbing or making her out to be like much more experienced. You never really meet her boyfriend or anything like that. Absolutely. She has this influence on this younger girl who like kind of like becomes slutty and like lies to a dude about her age, like catastrophically so and like to a scary degree. And she talks about how much it hurt and all that kind of stuff. And there's another character who like betrays his best friend, you know, and like to sleep with the same girl and all that kind of stuff. And so the point is, is that like it's really kind of about real things, but the, the kind of stuff that you don't really deal with or don't see in film, like you don't hear about how the first time really hurts for a woman or you don't really hear about, you know, how a woman has been adversely affected to try to be more than she is by this, like, you know, kind of bad influence, which depending on how you look at it, you know, Phoebe Cates' character kind of is. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I like that. It's because it's not it's not really a ha- there isn't from my perspective, it's not really a happy ending, really. I mean, it's just things kind of move on. Yeah. You know, but we can talk about the movie in a more you know, in a deeper way. But I think that's a good place to start. Absolutely. I wrote in here a question that I think is another good way for us to foundationally kind of go about this, which is what was the movie's intent or like what was their intent? Yeah, I've, that's like a big question for me. Was it intended to be a comedy? I guess. Yeah. But was it supposed to be endearing by being real? Like, I, I guess I just don't know. Like, when you go see European Vacation, you know that the intent of it is to make you laugh. Yes. And that it's unbelievable. But I don't really know what the intent of this movie is. And I, I think that that's an interesting kind of factoid as well. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing that I have to bring up here as well is the very idea that this is really driven by a few important characters that I think are all really memorable in their own way. But I think Jeff Spicoli, obviously, is the most memorable character of them all. And he's played by Sean Penn. Sean Penn's icon, most to me, his most iconic role. I think people, you know, he's in Carlito's Way and, you know, Mystic River. And he won a bunch of awards for Milk and stuff. So I'm not saying that right. he, he hasn't done all of these amazing roles or other roles. But I Great think actor. for me, I think that's Jeff Spicoli is like an unbeatable character <laughs> and his first big role. And basically, he's the stoner character. And, you know. To kind of set the stage, Ridgemont High is kind of this, you know, fictional high school. And it's basically just about the different kinds of people that are there and that you're introduced to and all of this. And so Jeff Spicoli is really one of the characters that's central to the to the movie. And he's just kind of a good natured stoner, and you know, in the classic way. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel about our man, Jeff Spicoli. He's so, you know, he he's the iconic burnout, you know, slash surfer. And you could put, you know, as time went on, I guess you could put, you know, slash skateboarder, you know, Southern California, early 80s. Such a memorable character because, yeah, you you know, that that sort of like that sort of mischievous and endearing thing comes through. But also, you know, like you said, for some reason, like that kind of like just deep down nice guy, heart of gold thing also shines through a little bit. But what I loved about this and reading about this was um, and I saw this, I watched this on YouTube, I found in 2018, just last year, Sean Penn told a story about Sean Penn, very much a very serious actor and a method actor, you know, even dating back to, you know, getting his start around this time, you know, he based Spicoli on somebody that he really knew. And believe it or not, he actually ran into the guy that he based Spicoli on, hadn't seen him in many, 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 many years. And Sean Penn said he was actually walking off the beach with his son. They were surfing, believe it or not. And he was walking up the trail back up, you know, from the beach. And here comes this guy and his family that he he based Jeff Spicoli on. And he hadn't seen him in many years. And he said it was this weird thing because it wasn't like a typical trope. This guy that he based it on was actually an Italian, really Italian guy with the three syllable last name and everything. And also, he was very, very Italian, but also like a surfer dude burnout type of thing, which is a combination of two things, not the stereotype, but a combination of two things that's sort of interesting. You don't hear that a lot. And he said, but sure enough, here was this guy and he's walking with his family. He had a beautiful family and a wife and kids and everything like that. And he just said that it was so funny to see him because the guy, it actually worked out. He was, you know, the guy actually, you know, went on, he had a life he had a family and everything was so interesting to see him but i always thought the thing about that story that was so funny to me was that it was really based on a true cat a real character 
you know, and and such an interesting, colorful character in this like super Italian surfer dude. But he's so funny, and I love the Spicoli parts because really, when the movie starts to get heavy and it starts to get deep, and again, we talked about you know this movie feeling so authentic to us and feeling like it's you know you're dealing with the regrets and the mistakes you make as a teen and all the awkward moments that you go through and everything like that. You know, Spicoli is really a lot of the levity in the movie, which you know you always look forward to all the mischief that goes on, whether it's you know. Early on, you know, with him with the van and the pot and not wearing the shirt in the restaurant. We'll talk more about that. And, you know, or later on with, you know, his hijinks in class. And then at the end with the car, you know, which we'll get into and the and the wreck and everything like that. And, and, and his awesome plan. He turns out, you know, we'll talk more about this at the end. We'll make sure we touch on this. He turns out to be pretty clever because Spicoli comes up with a really clever plan at the end, not only to save his ass but to ensure that the fo- his football team wins the big game, right? So we'll get to that, too. Yeah, it's awesome. Dave, did you ever know someone like Jeff Spicoli? It's a great question. Because <laughs> I don't know great. that I've ever really, in all my years, met someone so cartoonishly like Spicoli. Yeah. But I also don't know if it's because it's like an era versus, like you were saying, like the geographic place I think is really relevant. Maybe I just missed them. But yeah. you would have been more likely in if that's true to have met a Spicoli. Like I knew stoner kids and stuff, but I don't know that they were like Spicoli's over the top. That you know? exaggerated. Yeah. I don't think I knew that anyone that was that exaggerated. The funny the funniest thing is all the, I knew a lot of really prolific kids that surfed, really prolific surfers. People that were very very much into surfing. I grew up with a bunch of those kids and ironically, they were some of the smartest kids I knew actually. The complete opposite of being burnouts. Which is really interesting, actually. Come, come. Most of them came from pretty good families as well, but no, not really. the The ones I could think about from my high school experience, Kyle, that were most like Spicoli in that aspect, were actually some of the headbanger kids in school. You know, the metalheads, quote unquote. They were. There was some of them that were the most like, dude. You know, they had the denim jackets and whatever band patches they had the iron maiden patches that that sort of click of kids growing up in the 80s most of the metal heads most of the really big notable metal heads that i grew up with were actually for for some reason a year older than me in school they were the class of 91 so uh, there weren't that many metal heads in my grade and certainly dana's grade was particularly preppy the class of uh, i guess 93 that was dana so so that was the one, that's who I could think of the most. And then, you know what? I actually had a roommate in college later on after high school, a guy named Matt. He was a really lovely guy. I actually talked to you about him before because he was one of the first people I knew that was a big fan of 311, like had the posters and stuff. He was very much into 311 like you are. He was very burnt out. You know what I mean? He was very, he, he smoked pot every day and he was sort of a, he was sort of a stoner, but the thing was, he acted, Matt acted like more like he was on ether or something. Like he was just very calm about everything. And he, you know, he never got, too, he never got too high. He never got excited or excitable, you know, that's, that's the only, only person, unfortunately, because I think it would be really funny to have somebody like that around. It's just funny because I've interfaced as like a pot smoker with just different verticals of pothead, right? Like I've never really interfaced with this surfer culture. Just like I've never really interfaced with like the flower child, like hippie culture that surround, you know, the commune culture and stuff that was like very prevalent 
and still is prevalent to some degree and even upstate New York and stuff like you would hear people about, you know, going up there and sticking around for a while, you know, right, right. And so uh, it's, you know, from my experience, uh, I'm always curious about how people have interfaced with that culture because it came for me through hip hop and through like 311 and rap rock and kind of all the alternative scene. And so the stoners I knew were people like that, you know, like, is that funny? It's all through music. Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, the kind of like the, how you describe like the homies or whatever. Like I, lo- you know, that's where I picked up blunt culture. And, you know, I loved smoking blunts when I was younger. Just throw that out there. I loved smoking blunts so much. <laughs> but, you know, Dutch, you know, Dutches, vanilla Dutches, very specific, you know, something I don't even do out here on the West Coast. They have different cultures. You know, they have like Swishers and stuff like that. They, they smoke different things. Out it's here. different. You know, and and, and I, I've always appreciated that aspect of it, which I think is really interesting. But it is always surrounding or has for me always surrounded like music or art, entertainment, stuff like that, you know. Right. And so uh, I've always been really fascinated with how people, you know, interacted with, I guess, different parts of that subculture. And I just never knew a Spicoli, you know. I never knew a, like a comic book pothead like that. Yeah. Like a, just a cartoon pothead. And I will give a shout out to him because at Northeastern, the last time I ever dressed up for Halloween was in 2006. So this is 13 years ago. It's the last time I ever put on a costume for Halloween. And I dressed as Spicoli that year. <laughs> Tell us about that. So and what did you do? I don't know that there are any pictures surviving of it, which is a shame. Like my ex-girlfriend might have them that or whatever. A shame. But yeah, I just wore like a Hawaiian shirt. I brought like a blonde wig and I, I wore like shorts. I had like a bagel in you my, talk, tucked you in my the shorts. Bagel yeah, I, I don't like I, whatever else, like whatever else I did, I wore flip flops, whatever it was. And. Tuck in the bagel yeah. into the front. Can we just talk about that for a second? What a brilliant thing. Well, like, because he walks in at that moment in the movie. So Spicoli has this adversarial, adversarial relationship with Mr. Hand, who we'll obviously talk about because he's amazing. But he comes in and, you know, Mr. Hand has dispatches a child, you know, another student to go get him. Like, has anyone seen Mr. Spicoli? And he like snaps his fingers and he's like, go, <laughs> you know, go bring him. You know, he says, like, bring him in. You know, and then he comes in and he's like, hey, there's no there's no birthday party here. So like something like that when he walks in. But he has like a bagel tucked into his pants as he like stumbles into the room. It's just so funny. He's just such a funny and lighthearted character. And the thing I like about him, he shows like a a, like a wanton and wild side to him with Jefferson. That's the is that the guy's the the best the football player's name? Yeah. Jefferson, right? Yep. His little brother or little cousin or whoever, when they're driving, you brought up the scene before when he wrecks the car. There's like a wild and wanton, like I said, side to him that, you know, disregards people. But actually Spicoli's like a pretty nice dude. Like he seems like just a sweet kid and he has that really cool reconciliation with Mr. Hand at the end, which I really love. Yeah, he's I really love that scene a lot. He's lovable. Like when Mr. Hand goes and bothers him at the end. Yeah. And is, like, I really love that scene because it's cool because they, you know, they, you know, they have their differences or whatever, but they move. There's like a little bit of closure there. Like it actually doesn't really close that cleanly for almost anyone else except for Spicoli. So I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And how about Sean? I mean, just you brought up the performance before, but just to reiterate, like Sean Penn's performance is just. Oh, man. Just brilliant. It's so good. It's so good. And Amy Heckerling, I've watched, a, a, you know, it was really not, it was really lovely learning more about her as a filmmaker and learning about her New York origins. You know, she's from the Bronx, very passionate filmmaker, apparently like really doesn't like to be in the limelight, but very passionate about talking about writing and filmmaking and very passionate about movies in general. And she, you know, she has that New York sort of countenance and that sort of New York 
dialect. You know, she sounds very much like a New Yorker when she talks. I, I didn't know really much about her. So to learn about her and especially learn, we won't get into this today, but to touch on it for a second, she, what she went through when she created, wrote and created Clueless was very similar to what Cameron Crowe did for this movie. She went, you know, quote unquote, I don't know if she was really undercover, but she went into a Beverly Hills high school and basically went to school you know, there and kind of, you know, sort of chameleoned in to that environment for a while to kind of learn, you know, the ins and outs and the culture. And, you know, she said it was really like unbelievable, you know, in fact, like the really wealthy kids and like, you know, ended up being a lot of the opposite of what you would think. Like they would just dress in sweats and be schlubby and just going in flip flops and stuff. But she said one thing that didn't surprise her was like how preening the girls were like, they would basically be doing their makeup and hair like for hours and hours throughout the day, like the way they had to keep up their appearance. So, you know, to see both of those things and sort of the uh, the contrast between both of those things. But it was really cool to learn more about her just in general as a filmmaker. She talks she talks up Sean Penn very much in a lot of her interviews and how what a wonderful like how he, he knocked her out coming in even to, for the audition. And they asked him, apparently they asked him in the audition to do you know, a lot of the interactions with, with the Mr. Hand teacher, because those are some of the most extreme scenes as far as a exchange between two characters. And that he, you know, they asked him, like, Sean, can you do the you dick line? And he wouldn't do it. He, he said, no, if you give me the part, then I'll show you. And, you know, Cameron Crowe and Amy, what's her, well, I just totally forgot her name. Amy Heckerling. <laughs> and Amy Heckerling. Yeah. Just totally said like when he went in and did that scene, he just blew them away with it, like the whole "you dick" thing. Like, and it's there, you, you know, it's right dick. there. You dick! It's an amazing, so great. It's an amazing line, and I'd be loath because you and I, out of all the quotes in the movie that you and I exchange, which is only a few, my favorite quote with with you. Do you know what I'm going to say? For it has oh to yeah, absolutely, I know exactly. What you're yeah, so say. Spicoli's dream sequence oh, is so like great. such an amazing scene. <gasps> And it's kind of sad because, you know, I guess this is, you know what, this, we, we like to be honest and I, I think this is interesting insight, especially Please. for our younger audience. The line that he has in there, and I actually haven't seen Fast Time or I hadn't seen Fast Times all the way through in a long time, especially like on DVD or something. It's been probably since college since I saw it like unedited, okay. right? You'd catch it on TV and it would obviously be removed from the TV version of it, for instance, when he's like, oh, those guys are fags. Yes. Which... I used to think was the fucking funniest line ever. That's the way he says yeah, it. Yeah, like I thought it was like I, I, I was dying like when I used to see it because like he says it so like he just throws it out there like <gasps> like he's almost like not even done asking the question about them, you know, and he just like blows it all like blows the, the answer off. I'm not one of these people that thinks that jokes, you know, are offensive after the fact and stuff like that. I'm not saying that at all, but I was really surprised by that line. It's very similar, and I really want to do a knockback with you about Slapshot, the movie Slapshot from the late 70s about hockey. It's yes. a really That's a fascinating phenomenal, movie. phenomenal, funny movie. That's, um, what, what's his name? Paul Newman, right? Right. Yeah. And there's like some really heinous shit in that, too, that like they would never put in a movie today. But I think in the context, it's funny. But it's interesting that when I saw it for the first time, like probably since I was in college, my college years, my early 20s, when I remembered that he said that there... I was like, oh, I was like drawing it back. I'm like, oh, wow, I forgot he said that. But that's not the line, by the way, that I wanted to quote. No, the, no, no. The, just to be clear, the line I wanted to quote is, oh, I got this from the network. I got this from the network. Yeah, yeah. Where'd Which you get that jacket? Yeah, oh, I, got it from- <laughs> I got this from the network. Yeah, yeah. Wait, and then wait. he just kind of blows it yeah. off. <laughs> 
<laughs> that whole dream sequence is so good, you know. I I was I meant to write it down. He this you know, you're talking about that line where Spicoli says that. Mm. He says he brings up the two surfers' names. And I meant to write down the two surfers' names because it's hilarious. And I think that's what plays into the funniness of Spicoli's reaction and saying that. And again, it's just the way, you know, going from nineteen eighty two now to twenty nineteen the usage of words changed. Oh, definitely. It, it changed. It evolved. I mean, people use that word when I was in college. People use that word. Yeah. You know? I had dropped that word largely by the time I like when I was in high school. Yeah. But that was in the late 90s. That was in the early 2000s. That wasn't that long ago. It's not that long ago. No. You know, but I remember being taken aback a little bit hearing it in college. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I guess I'm a coward or whatever, or just you never never stepped. I don't remember exactly who said it, but I never don't remember ever saying anything about someone using the word, you know. So even in college, it was like still a word that you might not have wanted to use, but it was still like a word that might have yeah. been spoken around you. you yeah, I mean? that's sort of transitional period. You know, it's important to talk about this, Kyle. Actually, yeah, I'm glad I love you brought it up because we're going to be covering, you know, doing knockback. We're going to be ca- talking about a lot of obviously nostalgic topics as we look back on these things, films and books and comics and animation and movies and games. So it's important to talk about because it's going to come up, you know, it's going to come up and it's part it's part of looking back, you know, in a historical context and, you know, observing how things have changed and evolved is part of it. And I think that's what makes it, you know, that gives it a little more context and it gives it a little more relevance, I think, and it gives us a little more texture to talk about stuff. So I like that the fact that that sort of thing is going to come up. Oh, definitely. No, I love that, too. Like the fact in the 1971 classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, back in the 60s and 70s, four grandparents always slept together in the same Absolutely. bed. Absolutely. That was, that the, was the cultural norm back then. That was also the husband and wife didn't sleep in the same bed. No. Which was odd. No, no. It, but, other, so. but there was a lot of weird shit going on between grandparents back in the day. They were freaky. And people's parents. Yeah. So freaky deaky. So it's all it's about a lot about cultural relativism as well. <laughs> Fair enough. But I love that as well, Dane, because, again, I think a lot of people would hear that today and be like, well, that's very offensive. And I'm like, no, because I don't even think in the 1982 context, he really meant it as like they're gay, you know. So that really goes. And I never really and and I never really knew someone using the word personally in that that. No, you weren't calling them homosexuals. Like, so the point I'm trying to make is the word, I think, has evolved like a a lot because I think like our parents generation use that word a lot differently, for instance probably you know then it was used even in the 80s yeah it meant lame 90s and so yeah right lame he was a he was a he was a dork he right was lame you know yeah he's a jerk or whatever it is you know absolutely so yeah interesting part interesting thing because that's the only line i think in the movie that would be not crossable today or would be a lot more controversial if it was cross yeah if it was said like because if it was said as like he's a bad guy or he's the bad guy or he's saying the wrong thing but it's not that at all it know? dates itself right exactly yeah, that one part so pretty interesting stuff there. But, you know, I love the, the the dream sequence you brought up earlier, you know, which I think is Spicoli's introduction or one of his first scenes where he walks into where he walks into Brad's restaurant, his fast food restaurant, and they like just take their shirts off. It's so good. And like the way he delivers his lines there is like so funny. What does he say? Uh, something happened to him, bro. Or, yeah, something yeah. happened to him, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> you guys had shirts on when you came in here. Well, something happened to him, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what that's crazy it's so it's it doesn't even make sense really it just i don't know yeah like like you were saying sean penn just embodies this character as he often does in films but he just embodies this character and of course we talked about it. he based it on someone that he knew so he had nice reference you know he had something really to reference and 
he just he's hilarious in it. That I think that's what's so funny about Sean Penn is, you know, he shows his comedic chops. You know, it's just a really funny character, and and really, I think that that appeal and that endearing quality too is something that shouldn't be overlooked. You know, he's a very appealing character. He's hilarious. You know, and you know, just the whole thing of falling out of the van with the pot smoke and the old like Kryptonics skateboard that the one character has, and then the you know, there's another like old Sims board. Like for me, it's like, wow, that's so cool. And they're wearing the checkered vans. You know, they're wearing the off the walls. So it's so, you know, it's just really a lot of fun. You know, he's probably one of my favorite characters in all of film. Spicoli. Yeah, he's just definitely, a pure joy. Yeah. Really. In terms of like comedic or like more, you know, not serious characters. He's definitely up there for me. As Hilarious. Well. Yeah, he's really funny. I have written here next for me, Brad Hamilton, who's played by Judge Reinhold. People would know Judge Reinhold from Gremlins, but I, I, I think most prominently in my mind, he's from Beverly Hills Cop, and I really love his yes, role in that. of course. You know, he's so great, and he has a really distinct dig, and I don't know if you can really hear it in your, it's not your mind's eye, it's your mind's ear. Can you hear it in your mind's <laughs> ear? I like this expression. Is his voice. He has a very specific, I don't know what it is to his voice. Yeah, he does. He does. You're right. Where it's like just a very specific to him. I wonder uh, if he's ever done cartoon voiceover. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Judge Reinhold. But talented actor, and I like him a lot. So I like Brad Hamilton's character because he's kind of like the upperclassman. He's he's serious. He's kind of like, he's not entrepreneurial necessarily, but he has a job. He accepts. What I really like about his role throughout the movie is that he's always working. Like, even though he's like falling out of these a couple of jobs or whatever, he always has a job. Yeah. Like, he always is willing to like work and put gas money in the car or whatever. And I... So he does represent a very specific kind of character who I actually do recognize, like kind of the somewhat popular, has a cute girlfriend, has a car, a job. He's like, you know, accepted. He does pretty decent in school kind of guy. Like I, I knew someone like Brad, you know, yeah, for me. Yeah. And I like his relationship. We'll talk about Stacy in a minute, but I like his relationship as well. I find his relationship with his little sister like really endearing. As well, Would you consider Brad like the main if there had to be one? There's not one main character, but he's almost I almost feel like in a way he is the main character of the of the film. It sort of centers around him. And, you know, like, again, you know, each character is sort of portrayed as dealing with one specific problem, whether it's sexuality or a job or a teacher. They're all dealing with some, you know, some foible or some, you know, conflict. And his thing is the job thing. For some reason, he goes from job to job. The job thing's not working out. And he's also, you know, sort of in the throes of like being done with his high school relationship and he wants his freedom, you know, and he's, uh, you know, he's practicing his breakup lines in the mirror and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a little bit of another side shown of Brad, which is that he's not only a big brother, but he's seen to be another, he's seen to be a good big brother in one specific scene that we'll talk about. You know, he's a caring big brother to his sister and also Kyle we can't forget I'm sure we were going to get there I don't know if you want to get there yet he's in arguably the most iconic scene in this whole film yeah we'll probably we might save that from when we talk about Linda the character Linda, yeah there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is interesting to talk about well maybe we'll talk we'll wait for what you were referencing earlier for when we talk about Stacy that might make the most sense when we introduce her but yeah, I like Brad simply because I find him somewhat relatable. He is also, I think you're right, the main character in the sense that he is the only one that I think interacts with everyone. Spicoli actually doesn't interact, I don't think, with anyone except for 
Brad. He doesn't interact with Stacy or Mike, Linda, Mark. No. And Mr. Hand only interacts with Spicoli, right? Yeah. And Stacy. So I guess actually Stacy and Spicoli yeah. are in the same class. There yeah, is, the, yeah, that's the only time you would see them together. Right. Even Brad's girlfriend is in class with Spicoli. Right. Which is actually very cool. They're very mindful of the kids, even background characters and secondary characters being in the, you know, it's very, it's all very grounded and they pay attention to that. It's very thoughtful if you pay attention to that in the film. Even the characters floating around the backgrounds are characters that were in the class previously and stuff like that. So that's neat that, that, you know, that attention to detail was paid. Yeah. And he, for me, and just, I don't think we have too much more to say about Brad, at least I don't is that it's funny that he is kind of like the central like hinge, but he's like almost the character with like the least interesting stuff about him. Like, yeah, I agree. Uh, I have the least to say about him. I, I agree. Think. Yeah. He's um he's hardworking, but for some reason, I think he's he, he's interesting because he's, you know, he's obviously hardworking. He's trying to put his nose to the grindstone and work his menial jobs or whatever. And he's doing the right thing. But he's also he's got sort of a character trait that's a little bit uppity. And a little bit holier than thou. And I think that's his downfall. You know, he's trying. He, it's a little bit hard to describe. But if you really watch the movie from A to Z and look at his arc to the end. And he has also a very positive ending, Brad does, to the movie when it gives you a little blurb about what they went on to do. The only other thing I would say about Brad, Kyle, and I almost forgot about this. He has a scene which I had forgotten about until I watched it again. He has an exchange with the guidance counselor. I'm just looking for it in the notes, in my notes here. He has a really funny exchange with a guidance counselor, and it really spoke to me because I had that experience. I, I want you to talk about your experience too in high school with guidance counselors, but they were very, it almost seemed very like they were processing us, like we were a product. You know, it was like, it almost seemed very like by the book and they couldn't stray from it. In other words, when I went into say in 11th grade or whatever that I wanted to become an animator, this was literally the conversation. I don't know if I ever brought it up on the show before, but the, I'm, this is no exaggeration. This is literally how it went. So, Dagan, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I really lo- like cartoons. I want to be an animator. Oh, you want to be an architect? No, I want to be an an. I want to be an animator, like you know, like draw cartoons, like Disney. Oh, graphic designer, <laughs> like that. Literally, it was like they weren't hearing me at all because that you know everything was like, oh, you want to be a teacher. You want to be a construction worker. You want to be a doctor. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be, you know what I mean? It was like, you want to be a veterinarian. Like they weren't used to, you know, it was like they weren't used to hearing something that might've been a little less common. And they were obviously not willing to steer off and have an actual conversation with me. Everything was very surface. Like, that's not what you're supposed to say type of thing. And when he has the exchange with the guidance counselor in school, I just want to see if I could quickly find the quote that he says. Please. It really spoke to me because it's a brief scene, but he, you know, he, he just, what he says and in the interaction with the guidance counselor and the way the guidance counselor is acting. In fact, if you really watch the scene, she calls him the wrong name like three times. Well, as you know, Dagan, over on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins West, and if you support us, you have the option to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We let you know the topics ahead of time. You submit your thoughts, your queries as they were. And then I select them. And if you're lucky, I read them on the air. Alex Ball wrote into us and said he wanted to talk about Sean Penn, but he gave me a few quotes here because he also wanted to talk about Judge Reinhold. But the Sean Penn quote that I wanted to throw in that I forgot that he brought up is learning about Cuba and having some food, which is such a great line because that's what Mr. Hand asked him what he's doing when he's when he's 
gets pizza delivered to him. Such a sincere answer. There's yeah. such sincerity to that character. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. There is a sincerity <laughs> in like the delivery of it, you know. But then Judge Reinhold has the car- the the line when he's working his restaurant job before he's fired, where he says, "If you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100 percent of your ass," which so is a great, good. a really great line. And I don't really think that he was wrong in that situation. No, which that, that that guy was such a jerk. It was a little disappointing that, that like you know the guy comes out and like you know fires him, and doesn't really you know there's nothing to re- there's no price to pay really for it you know for the flippancy. Yeah, it annoys me a little bit. It annoys me just a little bit. Now, the next character is, I think, maybe the most interesting character, who is Stacey Hamilton, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee's been in a shit ton of things, I think, but I know her most from, like, Backdraft, and I wrote down Single White Female, which I think is, like, one of her most famous yeah, roles. Yeah, good call. I think. So, Stacy is, like, a younger girl, and she works at, like, a pizza store in the mall. And by the way, we we will talk about the mall and the school itself, but especially the mall and death, because I really want to talk to Dagan about the mall as a character, especially because I saw that the leadership that made the film really referred to the mall as a character. So we'd have to talk about it more in depth. But Stacy's character is an influent, you know, an easily influenced younger girl who's influenced by an older character named Linda, who we'll talk about right after this. I find her character so fascinating because I didn't have the female perspective or the female experience growing up. I really loved how raw her character was and how flawed her character was and how like ignorant her character is in a lot of ways, just as many you know 15 year olds are. But man, like it really is cringeworthy that, you know, she sleeps with a 26 year old man in the movie as a 15 year old girl and the guy knows something's up. He asks her actually twice how old she is, which is interesting. Not something I noticed like the first many times I saw the movie. I guess I wasn't paying that close attention. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, like that's a fucking haunting thing to happen to a young girl, even though she walked into it and that's what she wanted. It's like still probably traumatizing and sends her down this little bit of a spiral about her own sexuality and discovering love and all of these kinds of things. And I really enjoyed the portrayal of her character, even though she's so heavily flawed as a character. And so I'm curious what you think of Stacey Hamilton and Jennifer Jason Lee, by the way, I think does a really good performance. I think she's like a, she's really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Really strong in the movie. She, she's a great character. Like you're saying, you know, what grade is she supposed to be in? She's supposed to be in 11th, 10th or 11th, something like that. Yeah. Right. Cause Brad's getting ready to graduate. Right. And it's intimated that, Linda is a year older than her, right? In school, right? So I think she's in tenth grade. So she or must be, or maybe eleventh. Uh, yeah, tenth or eleventh. Yeah, it depends. I but guess. you would say either way, it's a very tender age, and she, she's you know naive, like you said, and you know she, you could see that she has this older friend who is either a liar or a blow. We'll get more into Linda, but a liar or a blowhard, or just likes to brag about her you know, older boyfriend that nobody knows about and her experiences and how worldly she is and everything like that. So you could see that that, you know, peer pressure and influence is trickling down to Stacy. And, you know, as she grasps with her own sexuality and how fast or slow she should should she move and, you know, she's working in the mall, but also like, you know, certain, you know, you know, querying about certain sexual things that she hasn't experienced yet and asking her friends advice. So, yeah, it's sort of it's very sweet watching her sort of go through all that there's one particularly interesting scene for her that i always think about when i think about this character and that's when she's on the date with rat with mark ratner and 
Mark goes to pick her up at the house and she's getting ready and she's in her robe and they're sitting in her room. And it felt very realistic to me. Like I had been there, like she's in her room and her room is sort of, she doesn't really have like a big girl room necessarily. You could still see there's a lot of little girl elements in the room. Some of her little girl stuffed animals are still in there. Some of the decor, you know, cause she's going from, she's growing up, you know, she's going from being a little girl to being an older kid and they're sitting, there's all this sexual tension and all this awkwardness because they're sitting on the bed and they're, I don't know if they're looking at a yearbook or they're looking at a family photo. Album, it's like a photo album. I right. Think, yeah. And it's like that sort of thing of like, it's sort of like that little bit of pillow talk or whatever, like, you know, sort of like that whole thing of like just trying to make conversation because you're trying to move in for the kiss. You know, you're both thinking about making out or whatever, but it's that awkward moment beforehand where you're trying to pretend that you're interested in this other thing. I always think about that scene. It really sums up the character for me and it really sums up what she's going through in the movie because her thing that she's dealing with is the sexual elements, you know, her sexuality really. And, you know, her dealing with, you know, just her dealing with boys and her dealing with a friend who's really, you know, putting a lot of pressure on her, actually, even if it's not directly and it's a little more indirect. You know, Linda's actually putting a lot of pressure on Stacy. And, you know, I think I don't think it's all innocence, though. I think that it's a you know, it's a normal high school kid desire to explore your sexuality. I think Stacy's also going through that, you know, and regret. You know, and everything that happens to her, you know, where she gets, you know, she gets pregnant. So a little bit heavy. You yeah, know, it's very heavy. A little bit heavy. You know, because I've always been fascinated by abortion stats in the United States. And I presume it's the same in other parts of the world that are just so much higher than you would expect. Because, you know, not everyone's walking around talking about the abortion they had. So, right. again, it's I'm sure a very relatable sort of thing, especially for young women out there. But. I like that she has regret for different reasons, right? She seems to have regret over this older guy and this older guy not really calling her and then kind of blowing her off as people do in situations like that. Then she has regret because she throws herself at rat. Then she has regret because she sleeps with Damone. Then she has regret because she gets pregnant and all those kinds of things. And, you know, there's a really powerful scene with her where, you know, you use the word tender. I think that's a really good word where. I really feel for her in the movie where she is like stood up basically by Damone. And and that's actually never resolved as far as I remember, which is an interesting hanging thread. And we'll, we'll get more into that when we talk about him. But the way he treats her and the, like the way they leave it, it's never resolved. I right. Don't think. Right. 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 Which is interesting, even though he resolves it with the guy who's like interested in her. Right. You know, so I always found that a little strange, but yeah, I like Stacy because I just think she gives me a glimpse that is unfamiliar. You know, and uh, I I like that a lot. Linda Barrett is the friend we've been mentioning. She's played by Phoebe Cates. And as you had mentioned earlier, first of all, Phoebe Cates, you would know probably from Gremlins. She actually really isn't a working actress. She really had only done a a few roles like since then. She's really not. But Phoebe Cates is a a name that you might have heard and is famous because of the pool scene in Fast Times, which Dagan had mentioned, is is obviously the iconic scene, of course, from this movie, and actually a really inconsequential movie to the plot, or in, inconsequential scene rather to the plot. It really is. It really has nothing to do with anything. She does catch, you know, Brad like you know jerking off in the bathroom, but that's just really funny, and it's, <laughs> uh, and I guess maybe relatable to some people. The ultimate um, awkwardness. Exactly, but she basically like gets topless in that scene in like a dream sequence, almost, you know, for Brad, and that's like a really iconic '80s movie scene. And her like flipping her hair back as she like climbs up the ladder and stuff like that. Right. 
But I don't know that they talk in the movie, Dagan. You might be able to correct me, but I don't know that they ever really talk about how old Linda is. Is it insinuated that she's she's at the dance at the end, so she's in high school? Yeah. I think. But anyway, you brought up a really interesting point, which is that Linda is the character you really get to know the least. You really only see her in context to Stacy. You never see her by herself or with other people. Like she's not really related to anyone else in the movie. Right. And I was really interested in the fact of what you just said, that you don't really know if her core component or the core component to her character, which is this relationship with this older college guy is even real. You have no idea. Like, and I wonder if that's I didn't see in any of my research that that was ever resolved or the writers ever said anything yeah. or if it's supposed to be resolved. But my assumption is that it might not be true. Right. Or it might be blown out of proportion because actually, no, she says that she's graduating. She's actually Brad's age. And she's, she yeah, says she's, she says that the guy wrote saying he's not coming to the graduation. And right. I read into that being like. It's like she has to cover for herself. Cover herself. This is a cover her tracks. Absolutely. You know what's funny about her, Kyle? This whole thing, and this is a big bullet point thing that I hear. I wrote in my notes. What's your what's Colin's impression of the Phoebe Phoebe Cates character of Linda? And is she a liar? From day one, the first time I saw this movie, she struck me that way. She struck me. Every every tale was a tall tale. You know, her sort of selling herself as this wise and worldly being was fake. I think the boy, you know, the the boy, the older boyfriend that, you know, obviously didn't go to school there and stuff like that was fake. I think everything that she was saying was fake. For some reason, she just really resonated that way with me. And her little wrap up thing at the end says that she went off to college and ended up moving in with her college, one of her college professors. So though, you know, her sort of her ways and means sort of never stopped. You know what I mean? Like she, of course, she was going to be the one to sleep with her college professor. You know, that seemed to me to be putting the final nail on her story of like, yes, everything you thought about her, we're telling you is accurate. You know, almost seemed like what she was doing was either mean spirited or just thoughtless. Because she was really, you know, again, without maybe even realizing how much so, she was putting a lot of pressure on her younger friend, you know, to do the, you know, whether it was giving instructions on how to give a BJ or yeah, the famous carrot scene, the famous carrot scene, which is probably the second most famous scene of the, you know, fun, very funny scene of the movie. You know, she really comes across as somebody who it, it always struck me as thoughtless. You know, it's like, you, do you understand all the, you know, you're the one who's kind of responsible for everything going on with Stacy. I mean, Stacy's making her own decisions, but she's getting all this advice from her older friend who she trusts and who she, you know, she's seeking out her counsel. And this is the counsel she's giving her. Yeah, she always struck me that way. I'd love to hear other people's opinion on it as well, because I'm not sure. Maybe it just strikes us that way. You know, she has a really telling line. I think it might be her last line or one of her last lines in the entire movie where she says, I can date anyone I want. When she I think she says, I know I can date anyone I want. And that was what was always so interesting about like the, the flaw in her character. And maybe it's just me and maybe as a flaw in my own character observing this is that like she's hot. She is. So she's beautiful. What the hell is she making anything? Like That's the weird part of it. Right? Yes, that is. 
Like, yeah. I'm not saying hot girls have it easy or attract, like, they generally probably do compared to the mediocre looking people about, like us out there. But that's not the point. The Speak point is, is that, like, she should have been, like, the most popular girl in school. Yeah. Based what? on her aesthetic, anyway. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny, actually. Luke Tucker wrote into us on Patreon. He said, Phoebe Cates, until I was in middle school, she was the girl from Gremlins, then Yowza. The early 90s were, for me, a time of discovery of VHS treasures from the past at the local video store, sometimes, okay, often influenced by looking to find a similar revelation of Gremlins Phoebe to Fast Times Phoebe, and being disappointed that Jesse Spano was chosen for Showgirls and not Kelly Kapowski, but I digress. That was disappointing, wasn't it? Although, you know, Jesse Spano is very attractive, too, but it's funny. I wanted to bring this up. I wanted to bring her up in this context. Yeah. That scene, I was thinking about it again, just in context. That's like a sexually iconic scene, right? Which one? the one, I'm sorry, the Phoebe Cates character coming out of the pool. Out of the sorry, pool I'm with the red ba- bikini about, about, on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's iconic. And I was thinking, like, is it weird that that's iconic because she's a high school girl that's like, she's playing a high school girl. And like, everyone's like, you know, she's so hot and she's so attractive. And so I looked it up. I'm like, how old was she when she did this? And I'm like, she must have been over 18 because she gets topless in the in the movie. She does. The same thing with Stacy. Stacy, who I think is playing a 15 year old girl, gets right. topless in that's it as right. well. That's right. And I think she's 18 as well. In fact, I think there was I think Mark Ratner's uh, like Brian Becker. I think that actor was the only one that might have been under a 18. minor. But I looked and I'm like, all right, well, people can I guess people can be pervy about her because she was like 19 when they filmed the movie. She was of age. But I found thank goodness the iconography still strange because of the who the character is. She's I, I a thought high that school that was, kid. Yeah. Just thought that was an interesting. You know what? I never really thought of that, man. That's yeah. very, very thoughtful. Never thought about that, man. That's hey, man. <laughs> Something happens to him, man. <laughs> you know what's funny, too? It is very interesting, though. You got me thinking about the Linda character on another level, too, because why does she? She is obviously one of the most beautiful girls in school. And high school, unfortunately, especially back then, you know. Oh, yeah, particularly. The, your, your aesthetic, unfortunately, it was very much, you know, in line with how popular or unpopular you were. And she is quite beautiful. So why does she have to purport herself to be even larger? But. Maybe that's why the character also resonates because we all know someone that arrogant or or knew someone in high school that was that arrogant. Like, you know, and it's so it's such an ugly, you know, I don't mean to be judgmental, but it's such an ugly character trait to to be beautiful and know it. It's not an ugly character trait to be beautiful, but it's a it's an to me that lack of humility is ugly. You know, my wife and I talk about that a lot. You know, that's always been a big turnoff for her in not just not just boyfriends for her growing up, but also just in people like that lack of humility is an ugly thing for her. And I always agreed with Helene on that. Like definitely we knew no or knew people like that, especially in high school. So that's really another thing that me, you know, another character that really resonates. You know, she's a strong character because if she was more demure or more modest or less cocky, then she wouldn't have the same resonance as us. You know, we almost get mad at her for that. You know, she challenges and Stacy's character challenges too. my assumptions about the different inherent mental treatment that we project on women versus men, I think, too. Yeah. And I think this is something that's really interesting to delve into because the boastful man who kind of like stretches the truth and stuff like we know people I know someone like I know people like that, but I can't think of the people that I know that are a little bit like, you know, you know, you know, they're a little bit full of shit or whatever, but like they're they're good. Like, I like them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when I see a woman do it or like when I see Phoebe Cates's character do it, I'm like, oh, that's like 
something worth That's talking about. And the same thing with Stacy, like Stacy plays around with what you might term like being a slut in high school, right? She sleeps with two different guys in the show, in the movie and tries to sleep with a third one, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that outside of the fact that if you're 16 or 15 years old, you probably shouldn't be sleeping with anybody, right? Yes. Do what you got to do, I guess, but be smart but about don't. it. Yeah, and, and really don't, right? <laughs> I, I, I've talked about in the past, I lost my virginity when I was 16. That's not something I'm necessarily proud of. It didn't gain me anything. It actually caused me worry and concern. Just, just be smart out there. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, I look at her character and I'm like, well, it's like the slut archetype. Sure. She's not necessarily that girl. She's just playing around with it. Yeah. And then I'm like, but if I knew a guy that had slept with three different girls in 11th grade, and I did know people like that, or at least that's what they said. And I believe, you know, that people were sexually active at that time. I wouldn't have looked at them in that way. It's a double and, standard. No, it's absolutely a double standard. Yeah. And so I think that that's the other interesting thing with with Stacy and Linda is not that, I, you know, again, I'm not dying on my cross being like, this is a, so, relative to today. It's such an offensive thing. I don't I don't care about any of that. It's really just an honest look at my own interpretation of their characters, which is like defaults to the same status quo. Yeah. Which is like, oh, you're not really judging Stacy for being slutty, but you're thinking that she's slutty. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's very well said. You know, one thing, other thing about the Linda character, and you, you might not agree with this, Kyle, but I'd love to know. Somebody who acts like that, somebody who acts like Linda, which, you know, they act like they could do no wrong. They act like they know everything. You know what I mean? They they know it all. Maybe she's, that's so, such an exaggerated trait with her that we get from the movie that, you know, that sort of reeks that in real life, that could reek of somebody's insecurity, you know, that could be burying, you know, trying to bury your insecurities with yourself. And maybe that's why we have a little, maybe it even translates into having a little bit of sympathy for that character when we give her a pass because we know people like that and we know, you know, deep down that could often be bred of insecurity. So that's another interesting thing that I hadn't, I hadn't really just thought about until five minutes ago with her, with that character, you know, could come, you know, that could be another thing too. But again, that's why the characters feel so grounded and real. You know, that's why we feel like we know these people, even though it was, you know, set, you know, we grew up on the East Coast. This is set, you know, 3000 miles away in Southern California. I know, you know, I know Cameron Crowe's the school that he infiltrated, quote unquote, was in San Diego. But I think they're supposed to be in the L.A. area. If I I'm think so. Mistaken. Yeah. But, you know, we grew up on the East Coast, you know, many years later, especially you many years later. And it still resonates because of those, you know, sort of through lines that are sort of timeless, you know. Definitely. Absolutely. The next character that I want to talk about, Dagan, is is Mike Damone, played by Robert <laughs> Romanus. And this guy is interesting because this was his biggest role. He really didn't act very much even after this. This is a character, though, that is really the worst character out of all of them. He does the worst stuff, but is the character that like I always wanted to want or to like the most. Like I like him. It's just that he makes like some bad decisions and like really betrays a friend. He does. And then they resolve it, but he really doesn't resolve the core issue he has with someone else that I find strange, you know? Yeah. So he's kind of like an entrepreneur. He's he's like a bookie and like gets people tickets and whatever the yeah, whatever he's it is a ticket he's doing. Scalper. Yeah, exactly. And I again I just like his spirit and I like his character. But it's just impossible to be able to like him by the end, you know? Like you almost expect 
that you would like him until all these things kind of come together for him and you realize that he's really not a likable, although flawed and 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 it and is a kid, you know. He he put True. he has an older air to him. He feels like he's in his twenties. He looks like he's in his twenties. He frankly. that that's part of it. He looks older. Uh, to me. Right. Like he doesn't look like he even really belongs amongst them. Right. But there's an interesting thing. You don't really ever learn. I don't think about his family or anything like that or his home life. First of all, he has an amazing bedroom and his bedroom is like his an archaeological. It's a treasure trove of like old late 70s and early 80s bands and just all these amazing posters and stuff. But there's something cool in his room, which is that he has like a stash of liquor, like a huge stash of liquor that's just in the open. And I always thought that that said something about the character or his home life or like the situation he finds himself in where he's kind of like, if not in a bad situation with his parents, he's like at least like just kind of drifting alone. Yeah. With very little guidance. Exactly. So I always found that, you know, a fascinating aspect of him. But what do you think of that? guy? Very nice little observation. I like that very much. That's very cool. Yeah. Like he's not like his parents aren't paying much attention. to. No, him. he's like making drinks for him and rat. In that's one scene right that's right in his room that's right yeah that's amazing he i mean i love you the know the drinking get, age at that time i think was still 19 e- maybe oh, 80, the great, late 80s right 82 was when it was yeah i think right? yeah 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 no i'm saying the 21 age is like 82 oh I, when that went to I was think, it 82 i think so or was it 84 something like that but the regardless like i think that the so i don't think it's maybe as extreme as it would be today to be fair but, right 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 sorry, but still remember. you know Great observation with the with the bedroom though. I, I always love that scene, you know, because he's like, uh, I like this is like one little comedic beat at the end of that scene where he's like, you know, Rat calls him from the German restaurant, right? He's on the date and he's like, I forgot my wallet. You got to help me out, you know, like I'm calling in a favor, and he's like, oh come on, like a, you know, and he's just got his feet kicked up, literally. He's like drinking milk out of like a gal, like a carton, right? <laughs> right? And he's watching TV, and then when he hangs up the phone. He's like, all right, all right, I'm coming. Hangs up the phone. He's like, he looks at you. He's like, what happened? <laughs> I just love that. Yeah, like, I love he's. Like, I love his Italian. Like, I get his like Italian, you know, stylistic, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I like. That's why. That's why it's so disappointing that he's kind of like the letdown. Of yes. all, of all of them. Yeah. yeah, ultimately unlikable. And I think that's because we see him betray his friend. I mean, I think it, that's a very hard thing to get past. But not to get ahead of ourselves. But first of all, I know this guy. I I have a friend who who is this who was this guy a, a friend in college you, you might know who i'm talking well, about. like he looks like him if that's the guy you're talking about yes. yeah okay i know exactly yes. what you're talking about. Yeah. i mean he is yeah he yeah, is yeah, I know what you're and he was actually a roommate of mine you know from new york we went to school in philly together as well really you know i love you get to know you know again getting back to the the opening we didn't touch on it too much yet but the opening sort of montage that opens the movie the opening credits of the film set to the go-go song we got the beat right it it's an introduction to all the characters without dialogue you basically see all the main characters all the kids interacting at the mall whether they're in the arcade or they're having pizza or they're in the food court or they're shopping and damone is one of those characters so we're already getting to see him and i think in the opening is he already scalping tickets in the opening the over the opening yeah, song or is it right after that i'm not sure i think it's right after that because it's like that's when he like sells those kids those tickets right yeah you yeah. see him scalping tickets to like much younger kids and you already start to get it's to for like van halen or something like that. Yeah, something yeah, like yeah 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 you know he's already you already see he's this conniving wheeling and dealing you know yeah, he's got like of, a notebook he's always he's writing. got a notebook yeah. he's got the uns you know he's sort of a you know he's sort of presented as this unsavory dude or at least that's what i always got from him you know quick question though 
Was the piano scarf in style already, or did Mike Damone make the piano scarf in style? Well, when did you start noticing it afterwards? I don't know. That's what I don't know. I wonder if anybody out there knows that because I know a lot. Of, I'm, I skew pretty young for knock, uh, pretty old for knockback. Although some we have listeners my age, but so I'm not sure if anybody would know that. But that's interesting because the piano scarf. The piano scarf and the fedora, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that's sort of considered a fedora, that style. Oh, definitely. I I would definitely call that a fedora, yeah. But, you know, and I not only do I think about his sort of wheeling and dealing, unsavory, like used carman, car salesman type personality, but also his aesthetic, the way he looks is very, you know, and the way he carries himself, very cocky, you know. The one thing I would like to talk about with you, Kyle, is his, you know, you see that he has this friend. Now, Here's the thing. How old is Damone supposed to be? Do we ever know that? Because I always get the sense that he's a little older than Mark, but maybe not. They might be contemporaries. I'm not sure. Yeah, you see them at school together in gym, but in our high school years, I took gym with people that were literally, that was like the only time you interacted with anyone that was like in all four grades. Right. So that could, yeah, that's not necessarily meaningless. And it goes back to what we've said, and we've said it so many times on this show. That people in the 70s and 80s just like looked older, even if they were supposed to be younger, you know, but I think I think he authentically looks older even by those standards. Right, right, right. Yeah, I agree. There is something very marked about the 80s and kids looking older than than they really were, you know, it's not just the shoulder pads, but it is it's something about the fashions, you know, the girls with the teased hair for some reason. I don't know why what that aesthetic is. You know, why visually the teased hair make you look older, but something about the whole package, the whole 80s ensemble does make you look older. Well, we were saying earlier when we were talking about we might even talk about this movie, but just not we weren't recording yet where it's like the goal back then seemed to want to be like, I don't want to, you know, I don't I don't want to look young. I want to look older. Yes. And I think today it's like, no, I I don't ever want to look old. I want to stay looking young forever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I think I think that it should like a different expectation, maybe. And can I put in a special plug for nerd culture as well? Now that it's quite acceptable and, you know, in fact, on Vogue, to be nerdy and it's you know you could be nerdy into your 30s and 40s back then you better stop playing with toys by the time you're in fifth grade so you're making you know back then they were making themselves older you know i still look like i'm 23 kyle <laughs> you do you age very gracefully thank you sir 24 you do you don't look like you're in, in your 40s no well i hope not no you don't that means a lot to me thank you no, but well. you know what i mean i think but i you know i'm, I'm being funny but you know what all joking aside, I really think trying to hold on to that youthfulness and sort of embracing that inner child really does make you, you know, in fact, younger. You know what I mean? Back then, it was all about growing up. You know, yeah, exactly what you said. Being sophisticated, getting my license. I got to get old enough to drink. I got to, you know, I got to have all the clothes. I can't play with toys anymore. You know, like all that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's so much cooler to be a kid now. I yeah, think, I feel like it's a lot like- of ways. I feel like when I look back at mo- like girls in those movies, it's like girls dressing in their parents' clothes. You very, know? very astute observation. Yeah, absolutely. And I recall, you know, not that I'm like watching a lot of movies anymore because I'm not, but I recall that being kind of like a thing that was in movies. I don't know if Allie and Dana were into that. Like, you know, I'm going to dress in mom's clothes and mom and I are going to put makeup on together and stuff like that. I remember that being kind of a theme, though, in a lot of well, not a lot, but like in some certain movies back in the day. Yeah, and I don't know that I see that anymore. Is that like a thing still? Do, do do parents like does your daughter wear your 
yes. wife's clothes and yes. stuff like that. Okay, yes. so there you go. Yes, she's in. Yeah, Lilia is in my wife's walk-in closet every morning now, getting something. I don't know what the hell she's doing half the time because I'm just trying to get her to the bus. A lot of times she walks now with her friends because we're so close. But you know, it's that type of thing where I could. You know what? I have one very funny memory. I think Dana, our sister Dana, could correct me if I'm wrong, but. Think about the 80s style, right? The lo- with, For girls, the long button-down shirt over the leggings, right? The button-down mm. shirt could go down to the knees, though. So I do remember her rating. I think I remember Dana rating mom's closet for those long button-down blouses. And they were kind of like that sort of gauzy, you know, material button-down. Maybe they had the, the vertical stripes or whatever. But it was a button-down shirt, collared shirt. And then she'd wear that over the leggings. So if she wanted to have the really long shirt, she'd have to go into mom's closet because mom was obviously bigger than her taller than her so maybe not for long you know mom being pretty tiny right yeah mom is tiny but she did but i think dana did raid the um the closet thing but getting back to damone i wanted to ask you about Mm. this specific thing how do you where do you stand on damone's five point plan his teenage philosophy do you remember it i'll outline it for yeah, you Yeah, outline it for me because yeah he talks about this in the record store you're right he's giving his friend they're in the mall because they're talking to debbie, debbie harry the right. debbie harry standee right so damone's imparting his wisdom to his young friend mark ratner and mark's all concerned about meeting girls and everything like that and damone discloses his five point plan which is number one never let on how much you like a girl number two you always call the shots. Number three, act like act like wherever you are, that's the place to be. Number four, when ordering food, you find out what she wants, then order for the both of you. It's a classy move. <laughs> and number five, when it comes down to making out, whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4. So a lot of people have a problem with that last one because yeah. they play cashmere right after that, which is not from Led that's Zeppelin That's not... Yeah, that's which, a which big is, problem. Yeah, which is really weird. You know, uh, I don't know. But, you know, I thought Cashman was called Led Zeppelin for for the better part of my 20s <laughs> because of this movie. You know, it's funny, though. I feel like that has to be intentional, like some sort of subtle thing of being like he's not listening to him or he's oh. thinks that this is the only Led Zeppelin, like the only Led Zeppelin he has. That's as close as he can get. Yeah, like something like, I really feel like call. they have to fucking know that that's not on Especially the Especially Cameron Crowe. Yeah, mean, like someone, even if they didn't know, someone along the way, as that movie was being made, must have been like, hey guys, like Cashmere's not even on this record. That's very interesting. So I, I, I just can't imagine that that just slipped through. Yeah. Now they had problems with the soundtrack because some of the songs that are in the movie aren't on the soundtrack and stuff like that. So maybe it was needle drop rights and all that kind of stuff from the labels and everything. I don't know. Yeah, because I think even the Go-Go's, the Go-Go's are on the soundtrack, but not for We've Got the Beat. Yeah, not that They have track. like a different song on it. Which is interesting, yeah. right? And who knows? Maybe We Got the I don't think We Got the Beat was a remake of like an older song. No, it must. Uh, it might have been a thing where like, listen, like we will. This is a perfect song for the intro. We want this song. We'll put another one of your songs in there. This will hopefully encourage people to buy your record. Oh, like a handshake deal type thing. Yeah, who knows? That could have that could have been. But you would t- you're totally correct. You would think Cameron Crowe of all people, who's like a musical historian, basically. Yeah, yeah no, that's exactly right. I, I just refuse. Like, I know that that's considered an error, but I, I don't think it is. Like, I think it's just it's supposed to be something. Like, I, maybe you're not supposed to really know. You're just supposed to know that it's off somehow. Like, that's I, I just can't imagine, especially at that time, still in the early 80s when Zeppelin, Zeppelin's always re- been relevant, but when Zeppelin was still like, you were within arm's length of like their 
biggest records still for, at that point. It's not like they you wouldn't have known necessarily. Right, like that you want a secret piece of knowledge. It's a great something. point. Great As opposed point. to that might slip through today more easily. You are sharp today, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Damone's last thing. He's described as he describes it is having the attitude. I think this sums up the character so well. Having the attitude, which is you know the attitude in quotes, which is looking like you don't give a shit either way. Mm. What's the first one he says? The first thing of his five point yeah, plan it was five points is yeah. never let on how much you like. Yeah, a girl. that's the only one that I agree with. Like, and I don't think it's never. I think you just like don't do it for a while. Like, you, you never want to like you play it cool. It's always like it's like the Seinfeld episode where they talk about who's winning. Like in terms of relationships, Absolutely. like, but how do you know who's winning? You know, <laughs> it's a similar thing. Like that doesn't matter. I don't think like in relationships that are established so much, but I think that that somewhat matters in the way a relationship forms early on. And I've always been somewhat reserved about like my feelings towards women, like generally speaking, until I'm like in a better place, you know, with a few exceptions because of what just, you know, fear of rejection. OK, you know, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, that's a normal thing. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. But Blowing my mind that's still that. the, do you know the reference I'm making? In yes. the office? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. Oh, it's so good. It's but, amazing. So that's true. And who knows what I missed out on in my past because of that. But at the same time, it keeps you nice and safe and sound, doesn't it? By the way, the interesting thing with uh, Mike Damone is that, and just, I, I hadn't really thought about it, is that he, what I was talking about before with Stacy, he kind of is Stacy. And a lot, or I'm sorry, with Linda rather, not Stacy. With oh, Linda. with Linda, yes, he is the the male Linda. He's full of shit. Like when he's giving the advice to the Debbie Harry cardboard cutout or whatever, he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. And it's insinuated, although you never really know when he's with Stacy that he's a virgin, because he finishes in like two seconds. Right, right, right. Very, you know. But you know what's funny though, Kyle? What's interesting is that although he comes off as a blowhard, he does get the girl, or at least he gets a girl. So that's very interesting because it would be it would be very telling if he, you know, if we saw him have no success, even after all his even after all his uh, blubbering. It might be, give him a little bit of a gray area to dig in, in that the scene when Stacy tells him she tells him like almost very seductively, like, I like you, though, or something. And she's like yeah, walking away. She's... But right before that, to Damone's credit, he does try to put a word in for rat. That's why he's talking to her to begin with. And she's the one that catches up with him, I think. I feel like he did that, though. I feel like I know exactly what you're saying, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like he did that. I feel like that made it even slimier. Not that it wasn't sincere. I think that it, it wasn't sincere, but I think that it was more like he already knew at that point it was a it was a sealed deal. And that was just trying to make himself feel better over it or something. Yeah, I felt like I always that always resonated that way with me. This movie really strikes me to my core because I even from the first time watching it and watching it numerous times since, none of my initial feelings have changed about the characters. I got very locked in each time and that might speak to my personality. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody's bringing their different their own different shit to any movie they watch. <laughs> you know what I mean, good or bad? So that could just speak to me, who I am, but you know, or who I want to be, but he always struck that. That always struck me as like um, insincere. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I could be. I could be off. Well, let's talk about Rat Mark Ratner, played right. by Brian Backer, mm -hmm. and this is his biggest role too. The interesting thing about this guy, I didn't know this personally. You might have known this. Yeah, 
Is that he's like the creator of the Four Dummies brand of books. Did no, you read about oh, that? Oh, I did read about that. Yes. So yes. the guy who plays Mark Ratner in this eventually in the early 90s writes like Windows for Dummies or something. And like basically becomes that? like very wealthy person off of that brand. Yeah. So... Yeah, he plays like the nerdy kid. I feel like he's kind of got main character vibes too, but I actually think that this movie does a nice job of making almost everyone feel like a protagonist and, you know, like a main protagonist. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I find him relatable too. He's very Woody Allen like. Like he, he's, I know Jew, I grew up with Jewish kids like him. Yes. Right. Like, you know, very, like, I don't know. It's just a very familiar flavor to me. Yes. I, I think it's a very familiar flavor to you. Like, I, out of all the characters' personas, I'm like, that's the one. That I knew a dozen of. You knew, yeah, you knew. Oh my that god, guy. I knew a dozen of them. You, you knew, know? and I knew. I actually, in all fairness, I knew also Italian guys that were very similar to that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it, you couldn't it, really even. That might you be know. a New York thing, you know, yes. like a tri-state thing or whatever. Yeah, there's so much fusion between. Like I've often said that, like I consider myself 100% honorary Jewish. Like as far as like I'm concerned, like I am kind of Jewish. Right, right. Just by culture. Right. Because it's so ingrained in the Long Island culture. It's Absolutely. So, like we've joked about many times. I thought everyone was Italian, Irish, or Jewish. I thought you were like Christianity was Catholicism. I thought that's what everyone was. Yeah. You know, we also had like black people and Hispanic people. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. And but the black people were kind of like Protestants and the Hispanic people were part of the Catholic community. And it was just like, that was kind of like my world. Yeah. I didn't know anyone was like Southern Baptist. Right, or, right, Or, right. you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I didn't know that there was like Italian people that didn't act the way Italian people in our world acted. Exactly. Or, like, you know, live their lives that it wasn't part of like their culture, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So any, anyway, he's very familiar to us or for, to, to me, like this character. I, I understand him. I understand his cadence. I understand his neuroses. It's very classic Woody Allen to me. It is. It is yeah. very much so. Yeah. Sort of like the doddering, insecure. It, I'm, not, I'm not sure this this movie, this specific film has an audience surrogate. But if there was an audience surrogate, it would probably be this character. We're probably seeing it through his eyes. He's, I mean, I think probably, and that could just could be me too, you know, me personally, but that he, I find him the most relatable, you know, I find him the most, you know, he seems like that average high school kid that's just trying to fit in, trying to deal with his, trying to get the girl, trying to figure it out, you know, seeking advice from his older friend or, you know, his contemporary, you know, he's uh, but I'll be honest with you, the character bores me, not particularly fond of the character. Yeah, he's annoying just to me because it comes so difficult to him, but he he gets results anyway. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's yeah. almost a little frustrating, palatably frustrating to me in that sense. But I, you brought up earlier the scene with him and Stacy in the German restaurant, I think is so important because yeah. the, you know, like the scenery in it, like you had mentioned with the huge table and the huge chairs making them look like children. But it really is a very relatable situation to me too like i don't i wasn't in situations quite like that but i remember being in situations as like a younger person with girls where you don't really feel like you belong in the situation you're in you know and i always felt like that was it's interesting that you called him an art an audience surrogate because in that particular scene like that is a very down-to-earth scene to me that i think was really played up with obvious iconography to make it really remember like memorable to people because it really is important to the spirit of maybe what Cameron Crowe or whoever learned from that experience, which is like the fish out of water mentality. And I think all kids kind of feel like that. Definitely. You know, I don't think I really ever felt like a true adult until I was like in my late 20s, probably. Yeah. Where I was like, where I'm like, I'm an adult now. This is like what it is. I, I don't. Uh, who was I talking to about it? I think Ramon or someone where and for people that don't know, Ramon's my best friend. 
where I think it was him where I was saying like when I, you know, when I was in college, I think we were saying this actually we went out to Thai food and we were talking about some situations. And I was saying like when I was in my early 20s, like I couldn't wait to like go out and like not be home and I would spend all my money on booze and you know, and then and run out of money and shit, not yeah. care about anything. And then, like, I don't even want to go anywhere anymore. And you and, and at do that any, age, yeah. you're very social, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, I think when I crossed that threshold, I was no longer a kid, as is related by that scene, which is like I felt like there was some aspect of the world I still didn't belong in. Now, as an adult, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> it's really there was a there is a point I've crossed like a threshold I've called where I like don't even care what I really look like. I just go out in whatever to walk the dog or go to the supermarket. Yeah. Like, don't even look. Sometimes I like get back from like running errands, look, having looked at myself in the mirror for probably the first time in that day. <laughs> yeah. And see like a big down feather on my shoulder or something from a pillow or something like that. I would have just seen. I've had I, that experience. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. But yeah. that wouldn't have been possible back then. So. I don't know. I, I really like that. That brings memories to me of relatability. Just, Absolutely. That, just that scene. I love that you said that, dude. Don't you remember? I have very, very pronounced memories of. I love that you said this because I don't think I've thought about this for a long time. And it, for me, again, dating, but, you know, going back to our dating episode, it wasn't necessarily dating with me, but it was like when I started going out with a girl and, you know, we became an item and then you do things. As a couple, you go shopping, you go to the you go to family functions, you go out to eat, right? I remember being in my late teens and early twenties, and even going not even going to fancy restaurants, especially fancier restaurants or nicer restaurants, but even in chain restaurants like a Fridays or something, and being in there as a nineteen year old and getting a table and having dinner and feeling like, are the waitresses taking me seriously? Do they think I'm not supposed to be here? Like having that very pronounced feeling of like, do they think I'm a kid? You know, even though I have $50 in my pocket and I'm going to pay for the meal, do they think I'm not supposed to be here? Like having that very, that feeling, that fish out of water, as you said, feeling, and that's just growing up because you're, you're going from being a kid to being an adult. And that's when you're starting to go through that. For us, for me, I know for a lot of people, my generation, especially my contemporaries and my friends, it wasn't dating. It was, it was more when we started to go out with our significant others and then started to do those things. But you know, you f it's it's that's what that scene feels like. Again, it rings really true, and I love the way they exaggerate it with the giant chairs, and you know, they're all hunched over in the chairs, and they look like you know, they look like kids. You know, again, coming off the scene of sitting on the bed together and that awkward moment of you know, going in for the kiss and trying to look like you're interested in looking at the yearbook and oh, look at this, you know, and the setting, you know, the setting of the bedroom and still having the childhood stuffed animals. There's a lot of tenderness and a lot of that sort of sweetness. That speaks to me. I get, I'm very, um, I get very emotional about that kind of stuff, especially when it comes to growing up, you know, and I don't know if it's about my own growing up and issues with getting older, or if it's having kids now that, you know, my oldest is starting to get older and watching her become a young lady. Yeah. I get very emotional when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I love seeing it presented in films like this. Very special. Very special. It's done very well in this movie. I agree. Yeah. So, Anthony Lencioni wrote into us. Anthony. On Patreon. He says, Fast Times of Ridgemont High is one of those quintessential movies of a generation and one of the only movies that my mother insisted on me watching. Oh. I'm a little disturbed by that. Okay. For obvious reasons, I think. There's a lot of titties in it. Yeah. There's some sexual conduct in it. There's some tatas in it. Some tater tots. <laughs> <laughs> 
disgusting. Get your own tots. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. We should episode. do a Napoleon Dynamite episode. Oh, absolutely. For sure. But he says any scene with Spicoli and Mr. Hand is a guaranteed laugh. And can we, can we all agree the worst character of all time is Damone? All right. Well, we've discussed him already. He's unappealing. Keep up the great work. Knockback is. Oh, wait, what did you say? I, I showed Knockback is an all time podcast. Well, thank you so much. Hey, Anthony. Thank you. Appreciate you. But this segues us into the final character I wanted to talk about. And then we'll ooh, I dropped my pen and then we can talk about whatever character you we might have missed if there's any. Sure, sure. Mr. Hand is played by Ray Walston. And mm-hmm. I don't presume to know anything about this actor. I, I read about him a little bit. He's deceased. He died January 1st, 2001, which is interesting. And he was active as an actor mm-hmm. from 1957 to 2001, and he has a ton of credits. I'm not gonna. I, I didn't even really know any of it, so I, I doubt that much of the audience it's been does. Maybe a long time. But he's an American history teacher at this school, and he's the only real interface you have, like full, like prolonged, multiple scene interface you have with like teachers or like the scholastic aspect of their lives. And like Dagan said earlier in the podcast, he's like a hard ass, basically. And he's an interesting character from that respect, but I think he's so well acted and is so funny. Like his scenes with Spicoli are awesome. And I just love, I agree with Mr. Lencioni, like every scene with hand and Spicoli are just really great. So talk to me a little bit about how you're, how you feel about Mr. Hand. He, he strikes me as that teacher. Who's just, you know, obviously he's older. You know, he, he looks like he's an older man. He looks like he could be in his late 60s at least, right? So you figure, you know, just from the visual cues, you get that this guy's a veteran. He's crusty as shit. Like, they, these kids have been working on his nerves for years. And he's suffering no fools. And he's sarcastic. But the thing is, he's sarcastic. Like, he's equipped to deal with this shit. You know, which actually was always very, fu- you know, funny to me because you always have you have two brands of teachers who have like two brands of veteran teachers. I should say you have the ones that are just like more passive and have just had it. And they're like, you know, they're like the, the horse with the broken leg and just they're ready to be put out to pasture, you know, and then you have they just gave up. And then you have the ones that are just like, <laughs> just they're, they're, that, that's it. Like their dander <laughs> is up. Their patience is gone. It's completely whittled away. And there's none left. And that that's it. They're explosive. But Mr. Hand is actually a little different because he's... <laughs> it's funny because even though he's obviously a veteran and he's obviously been around the block a few times and he's dealt with this kind of stuff, he seems genuinely surprised at Spicoli's antics. But he's also, on the other hand, equipped to deal with it, with the sarcasm and stuff like that. As far as like, you know, to get, you know, giving Spicoli's pizza away to the class and, you know, grab a good one, you know, and, then yeah. he picks and he takes a, a bite of a slice to too. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> you know, there's some really great physical comedy with him. The first scene you actually ever see him, he like busts into the room through a door you never see. I don't think again. And then immediately locks the other door, which it's like so funny. Like there's just little funny beats like that, that I think really work well. And and that character's, you know, to that character's advantage. And there's one really understated scene where he's like giving the tests back, which I think is so funny. And he's like, C and like throwing them back and like their face basically D like, like it's so good. And a relatable scene, I think, to some people. And now I even remember this smell, which and I don't know where maybe in private school because it was like not very advanced financially or whatever. But there's that great scene, too, of everyone smelling a piece of paper when he hands out like yes. the syllabus or whatever it yes. is. And that comes from like old photocopying techniques that use like this wax, I think, over them or whatever. But I remember that smell 
and I don't know if I think it must be like private school or like way long ago in elementary school or something. But I know what they're talking about. Even like that was a phenomenon that was very relatable, apparently, in the early 80s. But even in the early 90s, like, yeah, I remember. for a while. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. So I always liked that as well. But as I said earlier, Dagan, I, I also like that Mr. Han and Spicoli, even though they have this really tenuous relationship with each other, they like they resolve it. And, you know, Spicoli, to your point earlier, says something like because Spicoli's a good natured guy and he yeah, assumes he's going to pass the class. And Mr. Han, he's like, I'm going to squeak by, right? And Mr. Han's like, oh, I wouldn't be so sure, Mr. Spicoli. And he's and they say something else. And then he's like, yeah, I think you'll get by or whatever, you know? like right. So, like, basically confirming that he's going to, like, you know, be okay. And I don't know. I just, I dig that. And, you know, through Spicoli in hand in that one scene in his bedroom, it really brought to bear something that I saw Amy Heckerling say in the production notes or in an interview or something where there's actually very few adults in the entire movie and you never interface with like their parents or anything like that. And there's like only one intermediary in Spicoli's life. And that's like his little brother. You only see him as like a conduit by which you can get people in and out of Spicoli's room, basically. Okay. Which I think is pretty cool. And so Mr. Hand is like really the only authority figure in the entire movie, like at all. Yeah. And it's pretty neat, like, to look at him through that lens. And I was reading, too, that Grandpa Munster, I can't remember the actor's name, was offered oh. this role. Oh. And apparently, like, was, like, thought the movie was way too vulgar. Really? Yeah. I forget that actor's name as well. Yeah. Another great, great actor, though. Definitely. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think Mr. Hand is cool because just, you know, he's so necessary to Spicoli's humor. And he's so necessary to, like, some of the classic scenes in the film. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. He... he that's yeah that's Spicoli's foil so you need him in there for a lot of those scenes to work he wouldn't work without him and I mentioned Dagan just a moment ago production notes for the movie if you just google this everyone if you really want to see it like these are the original production notes that like I think were released alongside the movie to like it's all typed up in like you know web format it's not like a you know a photocopy or anything yeah but there's a ton of shit for like contemporaneous to the movie's production that's like really interesting about it so people can go look that up if they want and uh, cite that if they'd like. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool to know. So, Dig, I mentioned the high school and the and the mall. I think the less important of these kind of setting characters is the high school. It was filmed in Van Nuys, which is not too far away from where we are right now in yeah. Santa Monica. And the school's there. That was kind of Ridgemont High. I don't think there's anything too notable about it. I think the more notable character is Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is the mall that they filmed all of the mall scenes at. And... I just love it. I was just, I was pausing it and rewinding and watching the intro sequence, which you brought up you, this really famous intro sequence that introduces you to the mall and early 80s commerce and what was going on in the mall and the food court and the arcades and all the shops. And there's just so much great stuff in there. man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just so much stuff that I was like enamored with more than the movie itself. Just freeze frames in time and that brown aesthetic that brown orange yellow yes if there was a plant it was really dark green yeah the paneling isn't that funny it's so dark in that mall dude it's so dark in that mall when you look at it by modern standards i like that lighting personally but yeah there's something uh, very comforting about it it's so soft and cozy yeah i think they had a problem filming in there because of the lighting too like the natural lighting i think they had to do something i could something see about that it. yeah i could see that would be an issue but i just loved it man i just loved the feeling of it malls like that don't really exist anymore so it's true you know the the high-end malls are really dominating these days where you know the westfield malls and all those kinds of things 
but they're still dying in dead malls all over the all over the country that have that those brown brick glossy floors and these halogen light bulbs and all this kind of stuff. It just was so, again, recognizable to me. And again, those kinds of plants, like those those plants and those urns and stuff that are just so, they're dark colors too. There's like no bright color. No, no, yeah. Which I, I like, I, I like that that darkness. It's that very was rough, that it's was very the rough. Style. You, know? you know, that was really the style coming into the, you know, coming out of the 70s. So the mall must have been a nice feature for you as you rewatched it recently definitely very nostalgic i love and I, you know of course i love what i love the most is seeing the arcades you know those dark noisy arcades smoky so great it's really really cool so great dude dig i would be loath actually i should really probably introduce this with something from the audience sure. jordan glaza wrote into us on patreon i hope i'm saying that right by the way he says other 80s movies that have great soundtracks like fast times not many no, I mean, there's a lot of great soundtracks in the 80s, but the soundtrack for Fast Times is really, really fantastic. Oh, it just reads like a who's who of 80s music. You got the Go-Go's in there, Don Henley. You have Stevie Nicks, Oingo Boingo, Quarter Flash. It's like really pretty eclectic. But I was making Dagan laugh and I was listening to it a few times today. Jackson Brown's Somebody's Baby is the iconic song from this movie. And I remember being younger, I was telling Dagan, I remember being younger and thinking that the Outfields, Your Love, was the song that they kept playing for some reason. But actually, this movie came out even before that song came out. <laughs> so, again, the soundtrack is so great. And just the intro sequence with the Go-Go's, uh, We've Got the Beat, is just so good with that bass line. Just really murdering. It, it was just, it was so, it's so good. And so I have to give a shout out oh, as we begin to wrap up to the soundtrack. Absolutely, because friend. it's absolutely fantastic. But again, a really awesome movie. If you guys haven't seen it out there, I really hope that you take the time to watch it. And the one thing that I really want to do, Dagan, is I want to try. I'm sure it's on YouTube or at least one of the episodes is there is a Fast Times TV show. Yes. From 1986 that I think Amy Heckerling had something to do with. It was one season, seven episodes got canceled. Yeah. It's interesting. She had something to do with this because when she made just a few years later, when she made in 1995 Clueless, they spun that off into a TV show as well. And that was much more successful as a TV show, mostly because it retained almost all of its actors, except for Alicia Silverstone. Right. So there's that as well. There's that added component to it in the universe of Fast Times, I guess. Have you ever seen any of it? I haven't. And Couldn't all the characters, anything. except for Mr. Hand, have been recast, I think, in that. I think Mr. Hand is still playing. Mr. Hand and the teacher who plays the other. Oh, oh Vincent, the science Vincent teacher? Chevelli. Yeah, he plays Vargas. Yeah, like the goofy, yeah, the goofy, yeah, the goofy, teacher. yeah, the dark-haired guy. Those are the only two, though. Yeah, you're right. Everybody else's roles were portrayed by different actors. So that's the extent of like the so-called Fast Times at Ridgemont High universe, I guess. Yeah. And my real hope for this, and I, do, I think it's probably true, that they never try to do anything with this movie again. Like, don't try to fuck with no, this IP. You can't. Don't make it again. Leave it. I, I don't think that they would ever dare to do that. Even the era movie. is so important. Like, it wouldn't work in this era. No, I don't think so either. Especially because it's made on a book from that time. Yeah. And I really would love to get my hands on that book. And I really I am frustrated to. by how stu the amount of stubbornness that has to go into a decision not to publish that fucking book. That's to, really that strange. Leads a mil First of all, I mean, I, I guess I respect it. This goes back to the conversation we were having during Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Where I'm like, I guess I respect you leaving millions of dollars on the table. That's cool. I don't know why people want to read your book. Like, how many millions of copies of this book have you could you have sold? It hasn't been published since 1979. That's insane. Especially because there's probably a lot of stuff in the book that didn't make it to this, you know. The oh, I'm sorry, screen. 1981. Was when it was 81. To, to the screen adaptation. There's got to be a lot of stuff that didn't make it. So I would love to read the full account, which you would figure is, is in the novel, 
So yeah, that's a shame about that. You know, I was hoping for an audio book, but that didn't, that didn't happen. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Before yeah, we a wrap couple of quick up? shouts. Yeah, please. I wanted to ask your opinion on something, Kyle, that I had noticed the last time I watched it and realized I didn't know the answer to this. Thinking back to our iconic, our favorite Spicoli dream scene, he has a little sibling that wakes him up from the dream and mm. says, you know, dad, you know, whatever he's dad's looking for you, booger or whatever. Is that is his little sibling a boy or a girl? I honestly can't tell. I think it's a boy. Is it a boy? He's in two scenes. Because he also brings Mr. Hand up. That's right. That's right. I think it's a boy. All right. With like that classic, you know, you had hair like that. Yeah, I did. I had very, you know, like longer hair. And, you know, again, that surfer culture. I think the kid had like a, a Rip Curl sweatshirt on or an O'Neill sweatshirt on or something. So like that whole. Yeah, that's a thing. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, that was pretty that was pretty ahead of its time back then. There's a couple of scenes. There's actually a cut scene that I found on YouTube that was a deleted scene from the film, which was Spicoli. I don't know if you saw it, Kyle. It's Spicoli and his two friends in the bathroom. And it must be right after Mr. Hand, if I'm not mistaken, right after Mr. Hand rips up his card. And he's like, that's my card. <laughs> so, You're ripping up my card. You dick. It must be right after that. And he's kind of commiserating to his friends in the bathroom about like, Mr. Hand better not mess with me type of thing. That was really interesting to see. And there's some other Spicoli, just other Spicoli snippets that weren't in the film that are in one of the trailers for the film that I saw on YouTube as well. And Spicoli has like the checkered vans on and he has like a Mr. Zog's sex wax shirt on, which is like surf wax. Very ahead of its time in 1982. Yeah, that he, stuff. He, he's wearing the sex wax shirt in the in one of the scene in the scene in the morgue. Oh, that's right. It's the red, mm-hmm. the red sex wax mm-hmm. shirt, right? So or he's wearing a bubblegum shirt or something like those brands and everything didn't get really big like surf culture, town and country and bubblegum and Mr. Zog sex wax and all that kind of stuff. GNS and all that kind of stuff didn't really get big until the mid 80s. So this was very fashion forward for people on the East Coast, because we didn't know what that was yet. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is that where the checkered vans comes from? Like, I know that they made them before that, but is that like where the popularity of it? Yeah, I mean, maybe because outside of skateboarding culture, that wouldn't have been known, especially anywhere outside of Southern California at that time, because vans, checkered vans date back to the 70s. But that was very much a skate and surf culture, you know, Venice type of deal. You know, so that was that would have been very new to us on the East Coast as kids or as young people. So that was another thing. And I, I love that we talked about the spinoff. You know, I always have to f- try to find Siskel and Ebert quotes, you know, and see what they felt. I, I wish that there was footage of them talking about this movie, but I couldn't find any. But I have a great Roger Ebert quote about Fast Times when it came out, his content, you know, his review when the movie was still in theaters. And he called it and I quote a scuzz pit of a movie. I don't. Is that I, good or? No, I don't think that's. No, good. that's not. But good. he went on to praise the performances, including from you know the main four characters. So you know. But that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, is it a scuzz pit of a movie? Does that just mean it's grimy? Yeah, I. Th- I yeah, it's like that. Doesn't slimy. necessarily, in other words, sound like a, a really a knock on its quality, especially if he's. Really, to me, it. You maybe um, you know may, you had brought this up earlier. Maybe it's more speaking to that it's a little it's showing high school characters in a lewd context or what could, could be construed as a lewd lens, context. dude i mean 
right? There's actually, it's interesting. We should bring up that there was there. They actually were threatened with an X rating for this movie. I'm sure you read. Did you read about this one? Yeah. Yeah. There's the the scene where Stacy and Damone are having sex. I think Damone's dicks in the scene initially, or at least like like half like you could see something. Yeah. Like you see like his balls or something. And the idea was like apparently to like be like, this is like their raw tender moment. Like they're naked in front of each other. Like, why are we just seeing the girl naked? Right. They apparently had to cut it or they were going to get an X rating. You know, and this was before PG-13 or anything like that, that, although they're not going to let, you know, full frontal nudity in a PG-13 movie, obviously. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, there is something interesting about that as well. But I don't I don't know, man, like Siskel and Ebert and later Roper. Interesting cats. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Of of course. Yeah. Interesting, guys. Well, we're running long on this, but I have a couple more things I want to, you know, there's no there's no time limit. The pep rally scene, Kyle. Mm. Right. Where they're all, it's like the cheerleader and she's getting very, you know, they're in the stands and they're throwing paper airplanes and crumpled pieces of paper and they're like sort of booing her and she's getting all mad and everything like that. That always struck me as the difference between going to school in Southern California and going to school on Long Island because my, and you know, this could be a difference in era as well because I went to high school in the early 90s, the late 80s and early 90s. My pepper alleys in school were the complete opposite of that. People were really into it. And the cheerleader, cheerleaders were the cool kids. And now I never went to one. We would leave. <laughs> I don't think I ever sat through a pep rally in school. It was like that, that day we knew they were coming. Me and like the four friends that I, you know, that skated in my high school brought our boards. And we had like this path that went from like the back of the high school around the football field and like out to the neighborhood that was like over by ragtime. Pete, you know, we just walked to ragtime or the deli and get lunch or whatever. That was the exact opposite. I always felt like, Oh my God, it's so cool. It's like a, it's like a school full of like surfers and kids that don't give a shit like about, you know, but then later on, there's a little contrast in that because later on, those kids are like all cheering at the football game, including like Spicoli and his boys and stuff like that. So I always thought that was funny, you know, to see that contrast. I always thought the the cheerleader thing was like one of the um one of the funniest bits. Speaking of movie. Jefferson, though, because you brought up you know the football player, yeah. See, like, what was the point of that whole arc? Very strange. The first I didn't time really you get him, it. I didn't really get what the point of like. I guess there's no point to any of it because again, there's no story really. But I was just like, why is it because you feel like you need to show the jock perspective? Because you really don't. It really goes no. to show like that there uh, to me, it looked like it was like this loose, fast world of high school sports where they were like basically buying kids from other places to come play like and they were making fun of that. I think they, that, that was kind of the point. They actually say that. Yeah. There's one kid who's like, he lives here. I thought he was just flown in for games. Right. You know, which is very funny. Yeah, it's a little bit of a commentary on that. Yeah, it is a little strange. It does seem a little like. You know, that's what makes this movie feel a little bit like uh, like a like a montage. You know, it almost feels like a like a clip show almost of like, you know, and that's because you're following around the, you know, the misadventures of a few different characters or several characters. But I, I, lo- I love the football scene at the end because, you know, it ties into one of those classic scenes of Spicoli and Charles Jefferson's little brother in Charles's car. Right. Speeding down the highway, speeding down the road. And eventually, it's like, uh, I guess it's like some kind of Trans Am or something that car. Yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask, but yeah. But, you know, a Firebird or whatever it is. And they crash it. Spicoli and his little brother, the football player's little brother, crash the car. 
So what Spicoli does is he sets it up to make it look like the opposing team, the school's rival football team, messes up the car. He graffitis it like, you know, what's their their school? Lincoln, right? Yeah. No, Lincoln is the opposing school. Yeah. yeah, They're Ridgemont. Yeah. And by the way, just as a quick word on that, the kill Lincoln shirt that they're wearing like at the pep rally I assassinate want that. lincoln oh yeah like it's they're they're it's awesome it's those shirts so are good. great dude oh my god Th- that would be a great one to make yeah i think it's kill lincoln is the, the assassinate lincoln ones are the pins oh those are the there's pins. one there's red shirts that just say kill lincoln in white letters <laughs> which i think is like so cool like would be a cool band it's probably it's some band name probably stole that is a great sense, that is a great name yeah it's, it's interesting but like here's another question like what's the point of jefferson's little brother other than, I guess, a conduit to Spicoli, because the thing you learn is that Spicoli is cool with them for some reason. Like yeah, he's he's cool with them. And you see Jefferson interface with Damone only once to try to buy Earth, Wind and Fire tickets, which <laughs> yes. is so funny. But I don't know. That character seemed the most out of place to me just because they didn't really spend any time developing him at all. The little brother. Well, both of them, really, you know, but definitely the little brother. Like, I have no idea why the little brother is in the movie. I, I can't figure that out. I couldn't even find his his name, that character's name. In the credits, and I maybe that's because I don't know what he's called, but there's no other Jefferson. Oh yeah, maybe yeah. I don't I don't know. So I, I couldn't. Are even we assuming him. that they're brother? They're brothers, right? Yeah, yeah. He says my brother's gonna shit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, my yeah, brother's yeah, gonna yeah. shit. Right? Yeah. I was like, maybe they're cousins or something. But I, I knew they were related. But yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's true. Which is interesting. Yeah. But that that whole scene with with Spicoli driving and he's sort of like yelling at the other drivers and then he crashes the car and then he's like, my dad's a, you know my dad's a TV repairman. Yeah. He's got an awesome set of tools. I can fix it. You don't need. Yeah, they show this side. funny picture of this shot of the car. It's like <laughs> steaming. Yeah, it's it's really great. Like, but again, another scene is like, why did Spicoli steal his car? Like, what what is what happening was here? Yeah, it felt like there was like twenty minutes taken Just, out. of Yeah, the film. like they, like I wonder. You know, like there's got to be more to it than that. It's very odd. It's very. It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I still really don't feel. I feel like that's one of the flaws of this movie. Is I just don't feel like it has a, a story. It's not cohesive. No, it's not. And it doesn't really injure the movie because it's so good. But I wonder how much better it would have been if they, you know, weaved it all together a little better. Like, I think, you know, and I've talked about it and I'd really love to do a knockback on it with you, especially because it's so resonant with my generation, American Pie, which is considered one of the great teen you know, comedies Absolutely. of all time. I was thinking about that. Movie the too. What's so great about that movie is that it, sh- it tells individual stories, but like it has a, co- a cohesive arc to it and a cohesive narrative about all of their chase to have sex for the first time, right? And it's that's such a relatable movie. I love that movie. So I would love to like talk about something that's like on the other side of the coin, which is something that felt a little more comedic and a little sillier, but yeah. but put together in a, a better way. You know, I absolutely, love that. I absolutely adore that. Movie. It's a little bit about that's a little bit of a fast times to the '90s. I feel like, you know. Into the 2000s, I guess that really is. Right? Yeah, is that American Pie 2000s? one was 99. I think the second one was 2000. Right on that edge. Yeah, teetering right. And I think on that the second edge. one was 2002, and then the fourth, the the third one, rather. I think the fourth one, I saw it in the theater. I came out in like 2013, I think, or something like that. I actually went wow. to the theater when it came out. Did you really? Yeah, I was like, I gotta see this. American Reunion. How was it? It was excellent, dude. There's an amazing scene in that movie, an amazing scene where Jim, the main character, an amazing character is like sleeping with some girl and she like gets knocked out somehow. So he's like, has to get her out of the house or something. So he's picking her up and carrying her around and she's na- completely naked. It's this really fucking hilarious physical comedy scene. I was dying. I was really shocked by how good it was. Really? Yeah. Where I was like, this is fucking funny, dude. This is still really funny. That's in the fourth one. Yeah. In wow. the fourth movie. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was like this really wild shit. I was like, wow, this is, is Eugene Levy in all of them? Yeah, he's in even the direct-to-DVD ones, and that's what makes them so funny is that Jim isn't in those. 
It has nothing to do with Jim. So Jim's dad, it just happens to be like in these movies for some reason. <laughs> he's fantastic. Oh, he's great. And Dagan and I have been really watching and, you know, a big fan of Shit's Creek, which is his show with his son. It's great. And it's awesome. Really awesome. It's a lot of fun. Is there anything else, Dagan? Do you want to wrap I up? I think, I don't think we forgot anything uh, too important. I'm looking at making sure we covered all the key scenes. I think we got that. Yeah, I think so. It's only 90 minutes with, you know, credit to credit. Yeah, it's not a long film. No. so And that's what makes it, you know, that's what also makes that length. It's very snappy. There's no, there's no boring parts. It's the, the timing is very, it's very tight, you know, a yeah, little bit, length. you know, lacks a little cohesion, but. Yeah, I think they could have done a better job with that. But again, I don't really feel like it's a, a complaint. I, if anything, a minor gripe, really highly recommended from both Dagan and I, I believe. Oh, absolutely. But hopefully if you've made it this far into the podcast, you've already seen it. I hope you didn't uh, spoil it for yourself. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the, this podcast will be longer than the movie. So we've talked about it, you know, in depth. Now, Dave, how do you want to wrap up this wave? This is the first episode again of wave eight. Right. Now, do you want to wrap up with uh, dad jokes? Yeah, I do have dad jokes. I was I was told, telling Colin I have very, very f- I, I, I'm very I, I like this crop of dad jokes. I think I think they're strong. Now, I have two. I love the opening segment, Kyle. Thank you. Very. I'm very much looking forward to the rest of those. Yeah, I have two. Here's my here's my dilemma. I have two closing segments that I could do, and I really don't know which one to choose. Now, of course, whichever one I don't choose, we'll just flip it to the next one or so. But both of them, I really wanted to do something with that had a little bit of audience participation for our awesome listeners. I thought that was important and something that was a little fun. I think we'll try. Hmm. This is a this is a kind of a tough one. All right, let's try this one for now. This one's called, Do I Know You or Do I Know You? Oh, okay. All right. So this is basically how we're going to work this, Kyle. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. This is about, and see how well I know your taste in various things, nerdom. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Now, here's the thing. It, re- it may reveal some surprises because... When I ask you a question, like, for instance, I'll say, Colin, what if you had to choose one Star Wars character, what would I think you would say is the best Star Wars character? And you'll say my favorite Star Wars character is this. But here's the thing. I'm going to first you got to cover your ears somehow. You got to put on headphones or cover your ears or what, whatever it is. And I will tell the audience what I think you're going to say. Okay. I'll tell them the question. Tell them what I think you're going to say. And then you're. I'll tell you that when I'll say, I'll give you the, the go ahead. I'll give you the all clear. Okay. You'll take your headphones off or take your hands off your ears or whatever. No cheating. And you'll tell me. I'll ask you the question. And you'll tell okay. me. Okay. And we'll see if I get it right. Okay. That's a great idea. These are not noise. I have very nice Sennheiser headphones, but they're okay. not noise canceling. But okay. I think if I sh- sh- you know, crush them over my, my head, I yeah. shouldn't be able to hear. Along with if you whisper it like you're on, you know, an old yes. game show where it's like the, the, the password. Is. Exactly. You understand the exactly what I'm saying. Is. Yeah, exactly. You understand exactly, exactly. what I'm saying. All right, so right. I thought this would kind of be, I thought this would be kind of interesting, Kyle, because we'll see how many points we get. You know, every time I guess right, I'll get, we'll get a point. But also, it might kind of introduce, I thought this was what was interesting about it. This might introduce a little bit of head games mm. and a little possible overthinking because you could be answering to think, you might be answering to say, I think Dagan would probably say this, even though it's actually this, mm. right? But I will only get one shot. Okay. Okay. And I have a list of questions. We'll do one at each show. Okay. And yeah, that's all right. it. Let's do all it. All right. Do I know you or do I know you? All right. So, all right. Where am I going to start? So, all right, Kyle, I'm going to tell, you got to cancel your ears out. Okay. 
Colin is now not listening. I will whisper to you guys. Okay, guys, I'm going to ask. Can Colin, can you hear me right now? No, he can't hear me. Okay. I'm going to ask Colin who the best TV dad ever is. The best TV dad ever. He could, and I'll, you know, I'll choose only one. I think for the answer, I think Colin's going to end up saying the dad. It's a tough one, but I think he's going to end up saying the dad from the wonder years. The dad from the wonder years. Okay. All right. We'll give Colin the clear. All right, Kyle, giving you the all clear. Okay. That all right. Very well. That you didn't hear anything. No. Okay. And you're an honest. Just like, wah, 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 you're wah, honest, wah, wah. Abe. Yeah. No, I didn't hear anything. Okay. I wouldn't want to play a game if I, if I was cheating. So, Kyle, for your first question of do I know you or do I know you, the best, you can only choose one, the best TV dad ever. Best TV dad ever. The audience knows my answer. Now they're going to see if yours matches. What I think you would say. This is, I, I told them what I think you would say. The best TV dad ever. Best TV dad. I can only choose one. It's tough. Al Bundy. Oh, you! Oh, I wasn't even thinking married with children. No, I was wrong. I said the dad from the Wonder Years. Oh, that's a good one. Well, that's a that's an authentic answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. a that's a tough one. I thought you could have went a couple of different ways yeah. with that. No, that's Al a good. Bundy's Mr. Arnold a is a good an, is a good it's a good answer. Dude, speaking of married with children, I just watched an amazing. What was it? Who's the guy who plays Al Bundy? The actor's name. I cannot. I can, oh, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. He did a great interview for i think it was for the tv history museum or something talking about his long time feud of not getting along with the actress who played marcy oh i wonder if that played because they hate each other in the show hated each other dude. i wonder if that played out yeah oh so that i wonder if that was like uh oh dude it was amazing he was really candid and actually they they interviewed her too and there's a lot of venom there there's a lot of animosity it was pretty insane. That's interesting. Yeah, he used to make. I used to love how he'd shit because he'd always basically call her a little boy, which is like <laughs> yeah. the fucking best. Because there, there's like some great insult reels on YouTube of like his zingers, and they're just so. so and good. none of them would be on TV today. <laughs> and by the way, he's awesome on Modern Family too. You know, I've never seen that. That's a really great show. That's a really funny show. He's good. It's funny in like that cute by half kind of way. Where it's like it is really funny. It's laugh out loud funny, but it's it's trying to be funny and it knows it's funny and it's a little too clever, you know, in that kind of writing way. It's not I don't put it up there with Veep or it's always sunny or something like that that are like authentically to me, like grab your sides. Funny. Right, right, right. But it's funny and it's a lot of reason that's been on forever, you know, so I, I like it. He's really good in that. And he, you know, he was good. A random role that Ed O'Neill played back in the day was he when they tried to revive Dragnet in the early 2000s. He okay. was like one of the detectives. He played like Friday or whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Did, that's which cool. Which was pretty cool. But it only lasted like one or two seasons. It didn't last. But he's really good. And, you know, everyone in that's good. You know, Jefferson's awesome in that, too. The neighbor, you know, Marcy's, oh, I like Marcy's uh, two different people play him, which is always weird. And you talk about the blonde guy. Yeah. 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 He's funny as hell. He's great. He looks like Kate. He reminds me of Kate O'Kalen. Like straight up. He does. Yeah. He does have that that whole thing about him. We got to do a Married with Children one because I really think, you know, what's really funny about that show too? On the list. What's really interesting about that show, and I have to double check this, but I think it's true because I think I saw an interview with him like a long time ago. That show has such a, it's about a white trash family in Illinois, right? It's, it's like yeah. about just white trash. And I think it was created and written by a black guy, which I think is really interesting. That's very interesting. Like, because he, 
it goes to show you almost that color might not be as relevant as we think because he I, he he wrote from such a working class perspective that it might have just been the same for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was always fascinated by that because it is it is so tethered to the white American, you know, suburban trashy experience of your. Right. But. And you would think like, wow, who could possibly understand this so well, you know, <laughs> and it might be like the last guy you would ever expect through the modern lens, which I think is so cool. So really, we, we got to do one on that. Like, and oh, the one, and you brought the wonder years, on the wonder years too. Obviously. Oh, that's on the list. But honestly, married with children. I forgot. I have to put that on the list right now. Actually, that's such a good show, dude. And you know, like Christina Applegate. Yeah. Holy fucking God. She almighty. was, we were in love with her. We were in love with her. I I think married with children came out when I was, this is how old it is. I was in sixth grade or it was the summer between sixth and seventh. It was one of Fox's first shows. Very, very been around a very long time, you know, was around and it had a long run, right? I think it was like 10 or 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, it was run. like, it was in that, like with Tracy Ullman and the Simpsons and all right. those early Fox shows. Yep. It was one of them. Absolutely. And first of all, I love the intro cause it's so cool. It like shows the outside of their house, which is clearly not the outside of the set. <gasps> and there's just something really something. There's something about it, but Christina Applegate like was a complete sex symbol in that everybody show. was in love with her like it, it, it's hard to like for younger people go look it up because like she people would you know there was a live audience like people would like whistle and holler and hoot and like pretty yes, kind of inappropriate right. when, they, when she would come out because she'd be always wearing these like little dresses and heels and like yep the little brother was so funny because he was like so much shorter as that as the show right. went on and on it became like almost not at all about him and and he was like there's actually a really interesting episode like late in the run where it's like about VR porn a little bit ahead of its time. Some, that weird, is. some weird stuff that is. But Al Bundy is just the show is icon. actually ahead of its time. Oh, definitely. Very ahead of its time. And yeah, yeah I, I'm going to put I'll put on one of those reels for you on YouTube. They're just so just to listen to it in the background. So they're so funny. That's He's so, so the zingers are great. Oh, I can't wait to put that on the list. That's got to go on. Yeah, that's sure. that's worth the dedication, I think, you know, to get yeah, into. Yeah, because that's a lot of watching, but that's a lot of fun. It is. Actually, we kind of dodged a bullet in a way with South Park because South Park won one of our votes. For people that don't know on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you get early access, submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. You also get the vote every month on a topic we cover. And some of the topics we've covered in the past that you guys have voted for, you know, range from things like first date, like our first dates one came yeah. from that. Yep. So you guys really pick interesting ones. We're going to do a Batman animated series, one that you guys chose yep. this wave. Absolutely. So we're going to do it. We're going to have some fun with uh, all of that. But the audience chose South Park and not thinking about the fundamental rule of knockback. I'm like, all right, we have to watch, you know, 20 seasons of this thing. But then I'm like, you know what? It's not over yet. Yeah. So no, we actually not. don't have to commit to this. So this month. I don't know when this is going to go live, so it might be a little late, but th you're going to get to be choose two topics because we are we actually stole one away from you. Yes, but we have every intention to do in South Park, you guys. It's, it's just, definitely it, going to get done. Yeah, it's just it's got to end because it's the same reason why we haven't like if we're not going to do Attack on Titan because it's not over, then we're not going to do South Park. No, that's over, the rule. You know? That's the rule. And it's theoretically possible that South Park really never ends. Like, I, I really think it's I think it's possible South Park goes on forever. Yeah. And I, I don't mean, even mean that as a joke. It's so machine like the way they make it and it's so good and it's probably not that expensive it's, it's the same so thing with good. the simpsons it's like it probably just pays to yeah build. yeah just it's, make these massive syndication packages it's one of the smart south park is one of the smartest things that's ever been done on television it's so interesting i mean i, I hope we get an opportunity to talk about it but that's going to be one of those marathon shows we may have to break it up into two may easily have to break that up into two shows but definitely one to look forward to. You definitely. know, that's going to be one of those Hallmark episodes. And I really like that show a lot. I just never watch it very much. No, and, me and, either. And the South Park RPGs, oh. one made by Obsidian and one made by Ubisoft, they're really good. Everybody says how great they are. They're funny as hell. 
And they were they were ones that made me like I'm like I forgot how funny this show is and how ridiculous the characters are and stuff. So the butthole but truth, right? It's uh no, it's uh the stick of truth and the fractured butthole. The fractured butthole. It's funny though. You made a little like portmanteau. Out I, of did them. A, I did. I combined them. Yeah. What's Fair. the first one called? Uh, the fra- uh, the stick of truth. Stick of truth. And there and the fractured but whole is the, is a direct sequel. So you don't fractured have to play. Butthole. You don't have to. <laughs> You don't have to uh, play one to play the other, but you should play them in order because one takes place literally right after the other. Oh, it does. Like they connect to each other. Oh, that's cool. Which is really cool. Oh, I can't wait. Because to it's not really spoilers. The first one is them playing like Dean, like kind of D&D characters like warriors and stuff. Yeah. And then the second one is about how they're tired of playing as these characters. So now they start playing as superheroes. So cool. But it carries like there's like a bunch of references. So smart. It's very good. I haven't heard one bad thing about those games. Very, very good. Very funny. That's cool. My favorite scene in the second one for people that know this it takes place in a strip club. It is and you're fighting the strippers in the back room and it's so fun. Like the, <laughs> the dialogue, it's amazing. It's really, really great. So yeah, check that out. But we're getting way off topic here. So dad joke. Right, dad and joke. And then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay. All right. Well, we got so for do I know you or do I know you? We got the first one wrong, but we, I have hope. I have hope. It's going to be, that's a, a really one. broad question. I mean, I could have, I would, I, I got to be honest with you, Mr. Arnold, probably I maybe if I thought about it for a little while. Yeah. But I was going in like a bunch of different directions. I was like, is it Peter Griffin? Is it, mm, you could have went there. Uh, yeah. You could have went there for sure. Archie Bunker. You could have went with Mr. Brady or a big yeah, Brady Mr. bunch Bra- guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Brady's a great choice. Gary Cole's Mr. Brady, of course. Yes. From a very Brady. Oh movie. my God, dude. The, so that reminds me, we really got it when you're here. We got to watch a few episodes of Veep because he's fucking out of his mind in that. He's show. good in that. Oh, he's the best. I was just watching The Office on the plane. Oh, he is he. Uh, he's um. he's um. what's his name? Uh, Lumberg. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Office Space. I, I was thinking about The Office. Yeah. Yeah. Office Space. Yeah. Office yeah. Space. Sorry. Yeah. That's funny. I, it's so funny because I just watched that movie recently, too. And that's another one. We have Great to do. character yeah. actor. Oh, The Office. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, Office Space. Yeah. 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 Alf. Lumberg fucked her. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. Peter Man. Peter Man. <laughs> I really was so, I just ran, rented it on a whim a few weeks ago. It's so funny you, you brought that up because I really was just like going through Amazon. I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen this movie in Oh, it's so years good. It's and years. It's timeless. You know what I never realized? Mike Judge plays the manager of Tchotchkes. Oh, that's him? That's I didn't even him. Ever, I didn't even think I ever. Yeah, Dude, he's, a, I, he's a dickhead in oh that. Oh my so God, good. he's so good. I love Mike You want to do the bare minimum? <laughs> Ted over there, Todd over there, whatever, has 36 pieces of flair. And a great smile. Yeah. That, <laughs> there's something, it, it's funny, man. We're getting way off topic, but, that's all right. but office space is so depressing. Like, it's a really depressing movie. It's truth. Yeah, it's really hard. Like, it's it's Incarnate. almost tough. Uh, like, Jennifer Aniston's character, for some reason, really, really struck a note with me. Just because I'm like, she's like in her... She's like a 20 something or whatever. And she's like just working at a restaurant. She fucking hates it. She's she it, it insinuates she doesn't really have any skills maybe or. Right. You just read into the whole situation. where like, man, this sucks. That sucks. You know, like really rough for, you know, just maybe you're not supposed to read it through that lens. But knowing Mike Judge, I assume that you are. He's so satirical that that's totally a way to take Mike Judge. You know what I mean? I mean, from the opening of that movie. And I, it's only so fresh in my mind because I watched a little bit on the plane this morning. After I watched Creed 2 and cried four times, by the way, in Creed 2. But, yeah, we're getting way off topic. But, yeah, the office, the right from the opening when they're sitting in traffic and he's trying to switch lanes to get into the lane that's actually moving. And as soon as he switches lanes, that move lane stops and the move, lane he just got out of. Like, it's just like this movie. It's just like everything about working like a menial office job. 
It covers everything. With like eight bosses. That's eight the bosses. one part I can relate to the most is having multiple bosses, which I did at IGN. And it's like, it was like a TPS report kind of situation Too many all the time. It's the like, kitchen. yeah, it's like, what the fuck? I love it. It's we such get a good it. Movie. Like people emailing on emails, like just to like people really just their whole job is to just email you about things. Right. You know, like I'm like, I have no idea what you do. You just email me about things that are wrong. That's what they do. And that's that's my that's your whole function here, I guess. Well, Dagan, that was a good episode. Thank you, my friend. Good choice as we begin wave eight, a choice I would have made myself and so much obliged. And by the way, what's really exciting for me about this wave is that it's a little cartoon heavy, which is good because people are excited about your animation insights. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Because we're going to be doing one on the Batman animated series, which you didn't choose. The audience shows up. We're also doing uh, Totoro. Totoro, my neighbor Totoro. And what else are we doing? We're doing... We're one, doing... There was one Nick other Toon, one. Nick Tunes, which is another one the audience picked. So it's yeah. actually starting... I think they're trying to take advantage of you. To well, be honest with you. They could, they could take advantage of me. You I, don't have to take advantage of Dagan. He's easy. <laughs> <laughs> you could just have just me. like Stacy. I am Stacy. I am the Stacy of knockback. Digging is the Stacy of knockback. I am the Mister Hand of knockback. <laughs> you ready for my dad joke? Yes, let's do it. I, I'm right, sorry, I can't choose one. I can't choose one. Well, why don't you be a little more decisive and take control? I know. Jesus I Christ. Just, let me just do this. All right, hold on. Let Lola's me see. snoring in the background. She's doing her weird she, eye thing where she has her eyes open but she's sleeping. Wake up! I'm going to tell my dad joke. Look at her, look at her. <laughs> dude. She's like totally dreaming. It's so cute. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, we got to start off on the right foot. Colin, someone actually stole my limbo stick. I mean, how low can you go? (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't even make it through that one. I couldn't even make it through. How low can you go? I guess that's what they, I was like, when you said that at first, I was like, limbo stick, what the fuck is that? But then immediately I understood by the reference, but I mean, is there a proper name for the limbo stick? It's a good question. Like some French name or something, some... It's a, is it a French game? I don't know. <laughs> I assume it's something weird. If it's weird, automatically equate it to the French. I mean, just assume it's European if it's weird. I wonder how many French listeners we have. <sighs> Probably too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Not anymore. <laughs> we, I don't know. You know, I don't hear too much from... I can identify where the audience comes from just anecdotally yeah yeah by how much they interact with us and stuff like that and since we are an english-speaking podcast it's not like there's a language barrier if you're listening to the show you speak english so that's not like true i don't ever hear from people from france no interesting. i hear from a lot of quebecois people okay yes that's we have good. listeners in montreal and all that but I, all we right don't, that but, counts but in paris i don't know they're too busy paris uh, what are they they're busy not working probably in france i have no <laughs> idea what they're what they're busy doing but but we we hope that we have at least some French And this listeners. is why we have no <laughs> listeners in France. Got it. I'm kidding. They know that. Of course. You know, I'm watching the show Turn, which takes place on Long Island. And the French play is somewhat of a prominent role in the later season, the last season of it, you know, because it's about the American Revolution. Yeah. We go way back. They and us. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. Uh, absolutely. We yeah. go way back. Earlier yeah. allies than us and the English. Well... Well, we came from the English. In they were way. our first allies. In a way. In yeah. a way. In we a wouldn't way. have won without them. Yeah. But they, you know, they weren't much use against the Nazis, and that was a little disappointing for all of us. <laughs> Dagan. Well, next, <laughs> next time. <laughs> the next episode of Knockback is going to be about the occupation of France and the Battle of France. So buckle in. Buckle in, everyone. Well, we appreciate your support and your love. We hope you enjoyed our episode about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. This episode, or I'm sorry, this movie, rather, I had to buy an Amazon Prime. I think depending on your territory, maybe it's on Netflix or something like that, but I had to buy it. It yeah. was $3.99 to rent. I think it's absolutely worth that investment if you 
don't own it or want to check it out. Absolutely. So we hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think on Twitter or, of course, Patreon, where we read all of your messages there as well. Remember to support Sean Patreon if you can. Get week early ad free access to every episode of Knockback that also carries over to my other podcasts as well. You can get the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We do exclusive podcasts. The most recent three exclusive podcasts for patrons have been a three part QA with Dagan, which people have been really loving. Uh-huh. Dagan's a madman, and uh, he was supposed <laughs> to do one QA for one month and then gave me six hours hours of audio and I was like I can't in good conscience not split this up Stegen falling how long is this episode like five hours now are they gonna listen to this you know who's really gonna kill himself is Dustin alright oh yeah time to go Dagan, thank you for your time. Thank you, my friend. Lola, you've been very good, so thank you for that. You've been thank you, Lola. Thank you, Lola. Thank you all out there for your love and support. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Carlos Algarit, Eric Alley, C.J. Anderson, George Anthony Nunez, Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Night Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gassian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Gotham Algonham, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julefs, NK, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Renner, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Temanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Joshua Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Homeworld Hub, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. Greetings and salutations. Why am I flubbing? (laughs) I think we keep it. I think we keep it. Yeah, fuck it. Greetings and salutations. (laughs) It's me, Colin Moriarty. Welcome back to Knockback. No, I don't want to do it like that. Okay. I don't want to do it like this. Please. Massage this into a fine... Dustin, put this at the end. Wave it. Could you believe the eighth time we're doing this and you could still... You're, you're flubbing. I'm going to flub like crazy. I, I get nervous like it's my first time. It's crazy. Are you scared? It's like 
Yeah, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. 